Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Hey guys, it's Out of Darkness in the Light and we're in room two. Uh, we were on for over four hours earlier talking about targeting individuals. And uh, I kind of did a semi-interview. And uh, anyway, White Raven told me to open room two, but he hasn't shown up here. Um, but uh, we got a guy here that's listened to um, a number of my podcasts. His name is George. So I decided to push the record button. But uh, what do you think about this crazy show, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know what? It is crazy, but I was already exposed to enough conspiracy theory to make me entertain it and not freak out and run away. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find some of your views very interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Are you a Christian at all? Or? Yeah. I oh, am. that's good. All right. What part of the uh, country are you in? Texas. Oh, yeah. So it's right on your phone. So, um, how long have you been a Christian? I uh, was raised a Christian and kind of never really unchanged. Okay. From that. You go to a local church or anything? No, I've uh, I've haven't gone to church in about the last two years now. Uh huh. Just too feminized. Too feminized. I was going to ask you, what do you think about it? Yeah, it is feminized. Local churches are feminized, man. And uh, I've said it before, it needs to be said again, but there's not one single thing that they do in a local church that's alternative ever. Mm -hmm. You know, people uh, debate whether Seventh-day Adventists are a cult or not, so we'll just set them aside. The only thing they ever do is uh, talk about health. The Seventh-day Adventists are the ones that uh, keep the Saturday Sabbath and and the Old Testament food laws, right? Yeah. But they emphasize uh, physical health, which is a big failing uh, for institutional Christianity. You look at these Christians, they're just so out of shape. They don't know anything about the life force. They're just dragging, no energy. Their minds are dull. They're totally programmed. They don't know anything about propaganda. They believe what the pastor says. They think that God is guiding the show. What a mess. They don't know anything about the quiet war. They don't know anything about coming around the corner. There's nothing bad coming around the corner. We don't need to be concerned about that. Just pre-trib rapture. We'll get out of here soon. I mean, these people, they're ripe for slaughter. Unless God intervenes very quickly and powerfully, these people will be destroyed because... um, they need to have knowledge to survive, and they don't have that knowledge right now. They're going to have to acquire it and change their minds about things because they're radically wrong. And this reality that they believe in, it doesn't even exist. It's manufactured. These Christians are off in la-la land, and I actually think they're going to be destroyed. I think God's going to destroy them. That's the interesting thing, 
That's why I'm Johnny. To... Yeah, because they're going to be destroyed soon. I mean, help them. Help do something. He's not doing anything yet. Go ahead. I, I just think an interesting thing I'd like you to comment on, Dave, is the idea that um, the Jehovah's Witnesses think they have the, the true name of the Creator, even though there was no J around at the time that that, that was all happening. Yeah, and bastard too. It's ridiculous to claim that the name of God is Jehovah, because there's no J in the later Hebrew letter, uh, Hebrew language. You know, they're actually aware of that. They actually know that it, there was no J, and they believe it anyway. They still, <laughs> they still say, "Well, that's his name, Jehovah." <laughs> okay. And 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 it's very important part of their doctrine, isn't it? That they've got the oh, name yeah. correct. Oh, yes. They, they they try to make it out like if you don't say the name Jehovah, then you're not even worshiping God. So what what a contradiction. They acknowledge, the educated ones anyway, there's no J in the Hebrew, oh, but you have to say the name Je Jehovah. That doesn't even make any sense to any thinking person. No. Why can't you say Yahweh? Can you do that, Mr. Jehovah's Witness? Can you please? No, we can't do that. So they give you a false name. And there's... A lot of conspiracies around that name, that it means something diabolical. We had a guy on the show talking about that. It's the name of I a pagan it. god, something like that. You heard that? It, Jehovah is the name of a pagan god? I don't know about that. Is it really? Okay. That's, that's what they say. I'm not sure if that's true. But... Is, it, is it like Jove? <laughs> Jove. Uh, it, Jove? Um, I'm not sure about Jove. Could be. Because because that's a common expression here by Jove. I think it has to do with some Freemasonic god. At least that's what they say. Something has to do with Jah, J A H or something. I don't know. Okay. I've heard that the um, I've heard that the uh, the vowels in the word Jehovah, or you know how the Jews pronounce it, Yehovah. I've heard that those come from the Hebrew Adonai, which does mean my Lord. But I think uh -huh. that was also the word Adonai was also used by some of the Baal worshippers, or you know Baal, the Canaanite uh -huh. false god in the Old Testament, as a nickname for him, also. Yeah, what's well, kind of a problem because uh, the word uh, Baal is like a neutral word in the Bible, in the Old Testament. It, it depends mm -hmm. on the context. It, it can be a proper right. name, but there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, that's the word Lord. And so some people get confused, and they try to say late, Yahweh is Baal because it's calling them Lord and all this crazy stuff. But no, it depends on the context, and sometimes it can be a proper name for Baal, the God, you know. Just like um, the word worship, it just means to bow down or prostrate yourself. And so um, you got people bowing to Abraham. Are they worshiping him, you know? And it, 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 we want this clarity, but we don't actually get it. The, the modern Western mind, they want precision, accuracy. The Bible is not like that all the time. And you have to decide by the context, and sometimes you're not absolutely certain, you know. Back then they were comfortable with that kind of thing, but we're definitely not. We want more accuracy because we have a different mindset, you know. For us, the Bible will use um, exaggeration or hyperbola, see, and the Western mind doesn't, we don't like that. No, 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 we want precision. Speak with precision. Don't use any hyperbola. 
But the ancient prophets used to, to do that for various reasons. A lot of times it's just um, to get the hearer's attention. It's kind of like shouting or something like that, you know. So anyway. Where are you, White Raven? I don't know. Where did he go? White Raven's not from Texas also, is he? He's from Florida. Okay. His mom might be on the phone. Although it's kind of late for that kind of thing. He might have also fallen asleep, but I wouldn't think so. That would explain why his phone is busy. I've had lots of people fall asleep on this show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we've had people snore. And we had one one show we had I, to... Uh, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that, Chad. Yeah, we had to edit the snoring. It screwed the whole podcast. Yeah. The guy that snored, he was the one that edited. So it's his fault. So. <laughs> Dead air. <laughs> you were talking about uh, Organite the other minute, weren't you? Uh-huh. Have you uh, heard anything... I have seen one guy on YouTube who says that the fiberglass resin that most of them are made of is actually, I mean, obviously it's toxic to the touch or to ingest it, but he says that, or he theorizes that the pyramids actually shoot a very, very small stream of particles out from the tip. Uh-huh. Oh, and definitely. They do? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Jeez, um, it might have been yesterday. I have all these uh, thoughts that go through my mind, and I don't follow up on them. And I was going to go on YouTube and see if they had any kind of a Curlian-like photography. Because I can guarantee you that there's um, there's light streaming from the corner, each corner of the pyramid, mm. and also the apex. It'll be stronger the apex. But this is true for any any pyramid. Light actually will stream from the corner of a house. So any kind of corner, see a corner is phallic, mm-hmm. and it will stream uh, energy that's um, photographable every single time. It could even be a, a piece of plastic. It will have kind of a gray, murky light. So everything emanates light, and they cover that up. They don't want Christians to know. Because they're covering up the electromagnetic nature of reality. And they did a good job, didn't they? Covered a fantastic job. Well, we're talking about, you know, the electrical universe. They call it a theory. Every time that you hear electrical universe, you always have to hear electrical universe theory. Can we ever say just electrical universe? No, we have to say electrical universe theory every time. That's probably a psyop too. Oh, because it's just a theory. It's not true. Someone's speculating. And And there's never an explanation of what gravity is, of course. Um, you know, I'm trying to get revelation on that kind of stuff, and um, my understanding is that, that there is some some form of gravity, but it's 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 relatively uh, slight. You know, the uh, it's not anything like what they say. They have to manufacture it for a, a spherical Earth to hold the water and keep together and keep people from falling off on the bottom half of the globe, right? So, well, and, and to have planets rotate around a gigantic sun and so on. 
Uh-huh. But I believe there's gravity. Um, it's relatively slight, though. It's not it's nearly important, as they say. So. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, pre- I, I I think it's pretty to- clear there's, there's no gravity, Dave. Okay, I would, elect- well, well, I don't think you can prove it either way. So I, I think uh, I think proof is getting closer, and if if once the nature of gravity as a diffuse electromagnetic field is understood, then machines will be made that that can um, that can demonstrate that, and then that uh-huh. will obviously break the paradigm completely. Well, I was open to the theory that. Um you know, we're trying to explain everything through science, and so there's no gravity. It's just God holding everything together. You know, what's wrong with that? Why can't God do it? And then I determined that, uh, well, maybe the angels are doing this. God's doing it through them. But um, I guess there is some legitimate force that the angels are us- using. It's, it's electromagnetic, you know. But, but it's, what, what, we call, what we call electromagnetic doesn't take away its mystery. You know, it still has to have a divine source, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Well, the reason I don't think you can prove or disprove gravity is because if I if I present the theory that God is doing it, there's no external force, it's just God holding everything together, then you have to, you, you have to be able to disprove that. And you can't do that with science, and you can't do it any other way. Uh, all, only thing you can do, again, is get revelation. So that's why... I give you... If I like give you an alternative, a, a traditional, more traditional view of what science is, is that, you know, the Bible says that we are to learn of the creation and through that learn of the creator. Uh-huh. What, what, what started as science or natural philosophy was in exactly that. It was to understand the phenomenons that we observe with the full knowledge that they are provided by the creator. But anyway, um, what I'm trying to say is that you can't prove that gravity exists or doesn't because in order to do that, you have to prove or disprove that God is doing it himself, and you, you can't do that. So if you can't disprove or prove that God is doing it himself, then you can't prove anything. You can't prove, you can't, you can't prove the existence or non-existence of gravity because you, you don't know what God is doing. See, and This is typical. These people on YouTube that make all these, they always proceed off the assumption that they can, uh, they can understand what they're trying to uh, seek out a matter because uh, they have sufficient knowledge. But um, I believe that consistently right down the line, there are unknown variables that they're not even factoring, they haven't even thought about. And uh, that's why they have these simple analysis and they always come up with, I discovered the truth. You know, I looked into this matter, and I discovered the truth, and here it is on my YouTube channel. And that's the way they present things. It's, it's, reality's not like that. So, what, so you're saying there are known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns? They don't have knowledge of the unknowns, and this is actually true for everybody. We're all in this condition, including the Illuminati. There's things that they don't know. There's, God has the secrets, you see. Well, if you don't know all the secrets, and some of those secrets are necessary in order to uh, figure out what's going on, then you're not going to be able to figure it out. And they, they don't seem to acknowledge that. <clears throat> they always mm. seem to believe they have sufficient information to evaluate. You can see that with what they're saying about Antarctica. Antarctica is just like going to the moon. 
once you get beyond the edge of Antarctica, you don't know anything that's going on there except for what they tell you. Mm. I'm not talking about the edge. I'm not talking about landing and uh, on the edge of Antarctica. I'm not talking about that. I'm, going, I'm talking about going beyond that point. Everything's tightly regulated, and you don't know anything. So. But they will speculate. The These wild speculations about what's going on in Antarctica. Absolutely wild. <clears throat> The edge of reality. Uh-huh. Oh, they did a, a good show on uh, Ground Zero Media uh, recently in Antarctica. But as you listen to it, you can see one by one, everything that he's talking about, this is what we're being told. So, right. Uh, these people are soft conspiracists, and they want to trust the information. They're not willing to say that... We can't trust any of this information. We don't have any certainty. They're not willing to do that because then they wouldn't have anything to write about. There's nothing, you know, we can't, this is not going to be any fun, right? We can't trust any information that comes from Antarctica. Well, that's no fun. They don't want to do that. Okay? But that's what you have to do. It's unfortunate. I don't like it either, but <clears throat> I can't trust any of this stuff and I can't prove anything. But they haven't figured that out yet. <clears throat> So do, has, why, do you believe, why do you believe that food can alter our DNA? What's that? Why do you believe that genetically modified food can alter our DNA? Well, it all has to do with frequency. Um, we're, we're, everyone's being transformed from minute to minute. And uh, unless you're one of them, it's, it's not a good trans, transformation. Unless you've created a cycle... Of regeneration, you can do that through fasting. Um, within the larger cycle of life and death, that's eventually going to catch up with you. But unless you've done that recently, your entire environment is weaponized. And so um, the frequency weapons alone that's affecting everyone, they're affecting your DNA, and they're changing it. It's not staying the same. And that's why you have to acknowledge that eventually these people, if it already hasn't occurred, they're not going to be humans technically because they're they're being radically altered you know but the frequency weapons i believe are specifically designed to alter your dna along with the chemicals and everything else but uh, we don't even have def uh, authoritative definitions of what a human is but i would I, I would feel safe that most of these people are not truly human anymore they there's something Below all that, and that's why they act the way they do. <clears throat> they have okay. very little signs of intelligence, right? Do you see any intelligence in these people? I'm not just talking about, you know, things that they've learned or heard. I'm talking about intelligent action. We used to call it wisdom. Where's the wise man in this society? I don't, I don't see these people, do you? People that no. are acting wisely on a consistent basis, they don't even know what to do. They haven't even heard, so how are they going to act wisely? Now, where is the wise man that this society points you, you to? The wise man that the media promotes? Who's the number one wise man that the media promotes? Can you think of anybody? What does Mid-Southeast Texas think is, is the wisest man on the planet? You would think that they would give you a bogus wise man, right? There's your wise man. I don't even think they even bother. Wasn't it Walter Cronkite? 
They don't give you anybody. They don't even want you to have a fake wise man. They give you absolutely nothing. All the wise men are gone, whether they're fake or not. I don't see any. Have you given a view? Have you given a view on that mid southeast Texas? Uh, well, besides Oprah, which doesn't really count as a man, no. I don't. Yeah. As Bill Mars, people who Bill are portrayed Mars. as intelligent, you know, the the experts and the priests, you know, in the white coat or, you know, scientists and astronomers, but no, no truly wise men that I see. I think, yeah, you've, I think you've actually, I think you've named the right person, actually. It is Oprah, Dave. I'd suggest Oprah is the person that's been given. Well, I've actually talked about her. I've said that she's the most yeah, influen- influential woman. Yeah. Uh, as far as a head count in the history of the world, but that's because she had access to all this technology. But there's no woman yeah. that has influenced um, society like Oprah. You know, whether, yeah. whether you think it's good or bad, there's, there's, there's no way. So I think she fills that role that you're talking about. Uh, you could say that, yeah, because she's a teacher. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, I'm sorry to. Before we get too off topic uh, about the uh, orgone, I just wanted to list two sources for you to check out on on different uh, construction methods. Okay. Can I can I do that real quick? Yeah. Uh, I was speaking about the uh, fiberglass resin possibly being toxic. There's a there's a YouTuber named the Old Lab Rat, and he recommends oh, making them out of cement. Really? Yeah. And then there's another website called ZephyrTechnology.com, and it's real small. But they have this – it's not a pyramid. It's this box that you stand in, and it's made of alternating layers of thick wool, you know, sheep wool, blankets, uh-huh. and uh, like a, a metal mesh or a steel wool. And that's supposed to concentrate the uh, orgone in towards your body. That's the original design from that German guy, by the way. William Wright, yeah. Yeah. That's called an or- orgone accumulator, and there's people that say those are not good. Hmm. Uh, basically, okay. because the environment is so uh, has been radically altered so much that it, it it actually serves as an antenna and collector of negative energy. But uh, there's different opinions about it. I think that's true to some degree. I mean. Hmm. When you, when you have a little pyramid, you don't want to set it next to like a cell phone or something like that. It will amplify that negative energy. But, um, yeah, it depends I, where it is then. We've talked about the orgone accumulator in the past. We've done a show on stuff like that before. Went into okay. detail about it. It's supposed to be a good thing, no question. I don't think a lot of people understand them, though. <clears throat> That energy is very cyclical and it's very sensitive, and uh, you got to be careful what you're doing there because you can create a worse situation if you don't know what you're doing. Because uh, uh, William, William Reich, he talked about door. Door was the opposite of orgone, D O R, capital. Mm-hmm. And uh, the theory is that it can it can uh, it collect the, the door energy instead, which would be bad for you. So you'd want to have some kind of um, ability to test the uh, the orgone accumulator. You could probably just use a uh, a pendulum. 
because if the energy is bad, it will spin to the left. So that would that would tell you. Yeah, I've done plenty of those experiments. They're, they're really simple to do. And have you seen the experiment? Have you seen the experiments of putting uh, plants over the top of the south pole of a magnet? I can't remember. That sounds like something I may be exposed to. But uh, what what happens when you do that? That's going to be the, the plant. The plant growth is up thirty percent. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is interesting because I think that the opposite happens with the uh, the North Pole side of the magnet. But with human, with humans, we can't tolerate um, very much South Pole energy. So with right. us, this is kind of interesting. I think we're the opposite of plants. Um, I think it's. I definitely believe it's more beneficial for us to have uh, North Pole energy. You know, the yin energy. Yeah, the, the North Pole of the world is a South Pole. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. So um, it's interesting that, you know, I think most life is based in the Northern Hemisphere by a long way, isn't it? Okay, I don't believe that myself, um, but, I, but I used to. Okay. That was before... Remember, I have a slightly concave model, like a dish. Yeah. And so there was a time when that was all I had. I just had a, uh, a shallow dish, okay? And mm -hmm. when I had a shallow dish, I had the same uh, essential view as a flat, a flat earther. In other words, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the South Pole is the North Pole. And there's actually, there is no South Pole because all yeah. you have is just this outer rim of ice. Yeah, but um, but I don't believe that anymore because I have a mound in the middle. There's a significant mound, and so I have a legitimate um, North Pole now. It's a, it's a magnetic mountain that's up there, yes. right in the middle. Yeah, that's the source of the uh, magnetism. It's this mountain. Yeah, and that's the source of gravity as well. That's a good theory. So that is so great. So the analogy is that the gravity that we experience is in the same way that the analogy is, you know, like a light bulb gives off a what they call incoherent light and, and uh -huh. a laser beam gives gives off coherent light, right? Uh-huh. So a, a magnet is, is like a laser beam and what we experience as gravity is like a light bulb. It's an okay. incoherent yeah. electromagnetic field. Hmm. Oh, that, that one's new to me. Uh, is it? Okay. I'll, I'll send you some links. But I, um, it's been a reasonably well-documented view. And... You know, as I said, machinery will start to be developed fairly soon, which confirms that. Uh, I'm just talking about gravity being associated with the North Pole or this mountain. Yeah. Okay. Does anybody talk it, about it, that on YouTube? Yeah. Okay. The guy's name is... Do you want, do you want a link to it? Yeah. 
Okay. So it's this fellow who does a lot of stuff on photography. Uh, so you're looking for the magnetic, the stuff on magnetism. He calls himself the most brilliant man ever to have existed. <laughs> you're not talking about yourself, are you? <laughs> did, I guess, did I guess it right? You, you, you think I'm talking about myself? Yeah. Okay. So you're, you, 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 you think my ego is intruding into my... Um... <laughs> Are you going to give me a link to your own website? That's what I want to know. No, I've, I've already done that. I've given you a link oh, okay. to two websites. Okay. <laughs> so that, that's to the YouTube channel of um, a fellow that calls himself Theoria Apophysis. Oh, I think I've heard of him. And his name is... Um, well, he, he believes in the globe model. The what model? He believes in the globe model. Oh, God. Okay. And he believes in nuclear power. Uh-huh. Even though he, he, even though he says that Einstein's a fraud. So I, I always enjoy contradictory uh, paradoxical views like that. Well, you know what? Everyone needs to understand. It doesn't matter who you are. Uh, everything is hit and miss. Nobody has everything right. So everything is always going to be hit and miss. It's always mm. the point. People don't like to talk about that. But that's reality, isn't it? <clears throat> but even even so, so, if you're call, if you're calling Einstein a fraud, you're essentially saying that E does not equal MC squared, and therefore there's no nuclear power. It's a it's a very interesting, uh, you know, to hold the view that nuclear weapons exist when you tell people you've dis you've proved that Einstein's wrong. That doesn't make sense, does it? Uh, say that again. I was just looking at Facebook. It, what the fellow says is, is that he constantly makes claims that he's proven Einstein to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? Which essentially, when you do that, you are saying nuclear power does not exist. Hmm. Because, because the whole theory of nuclear power relies on E equaling MC squared. I tell you what, can you talk for just a little bit? I'm going to call uh, Clyde again. Apparently he's trying to get into the chat room, okay? Okay. So, Mr. Southeast Texas, do you want to talk? Uh, I was going to bring up another topic, so I can talk if you were finished with that one. Yeah, sure. Go nuts. Well, uh, being a believer in catastrophism, and past cataclysms uh, that this podcast has made me. I was recently uh, reading a blog that seemed to uh, describe a very interesting thing that from the, the mid-15th to the mid-16th century, there is an island in the North Atlantic, which is labeled Frisland, that's F-R-I-S land, that mm -hmm. uh, you would think is a mistake nowadays because obviously there's nothing there. It's to the the southwest of Iceland, which is also on those maps. Uh -huh. But you know, again, obviously that that island's missing today. But this guy is a believer in catastrophism, and he thinks that there was some huge global 
um, cataclysm that at the same time the North American and African and European continents were shifting apart and the Atlantic Ocean was growing wider, this island showed up for a short period of time and then disappeared under the sea. What does it make you think? What, what, what's the name of that? Um... The website? Yeah. Uh, it's malagabay.wordpress.com. Malaga, M-A-L-A-G-A-B-A-Y. Can you put that? Malagabay.com. Malaga yeah. I have uh, No, dot, dot wordpress.com. Now, the guy's not not awake to the the non-global theory, so Mm -hmm. you've got to sift through that. But otherwise, his findings are pretty interesting. Just posted the link. Yeah, it takes years and years to figure all this stuff out. So you'll see people that will figure out some things, but they're still lacking other areas. This is normal. This is the way it is. Go ahead. That, that's that's also consistent with a, a fellow called Philip Drusian, who um, provides a, a lot of examples of uh, areas of Europe and the USA that covered in vast quantities of mud, and that that they're still digging out. Yeah, I think that um, happened in the first century. Well, he's saying it happened only a couple of centuries ago, Dave. A couple and of that, centuries ago. That's unusual. Yeah, yeah and he, his view is that all of what we call history now is just totally fake. Okay, who is this guy? Philip Drusnan. Do you want to link to that as well? Yeah, can you put that in the chat room? Sure. Uh, very completely anti-Christian fellow, by the way. Okay, that doesn't bother me. No, no, it, I, it, I, you know, a lot of his... Uh, research is quite compelling. Yeah, you'll find uh, truth in strange places, let me tell you. That's right. Absolutely. That's absolutely my view. He's the one that found the Bosnian pyramids. Uh, the what pyramids? The Bosnian pyramids. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, you're, and you've also seen the other guys that talk about how the um, the pyramids are totally fake, yeah? Oh, uh, what pyramids? The Egyptian pyramids. Now, what do you, what do you mean built, by what do you mean by just fake? Built in, just built in the eighteen hundreds. Oh, I've heard that before, but I think that's ridiculous. So. <clears throat> uh, interesting. Well, uh, but but Stonehenge, for example, you can actually find the film clips of them building it. Yeah, I would, I would be suspicious of that footage. Okay, interesting. No, it, that's, a, that's an interesting theory. We need to hear those theories, though. Yeah. Oh. I, I do think that there um, were things that occurred recently, and uh, they made it look more ancient. But I don't think that the Great Pyramid is one of them. <clears throat> Well, it's kind of consistent with the biblical view of the age of the earth, though. I do believe that there was a deliberate attempt to make the, um, you know, to damage the Great Pyramid. 
to uh, create confusion about its age. I think it's older. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then there's another fellow called Wires Up who talks about uh, a lot of these things being um, basically buildings built the way we have already built them that have obviously been buried by the flood. So he his view is there's massive evidence of the Noah flood. Mm-hmm. And he provides it all over the place. The, the latest one he's done is a thing called archaeological cover-up. Well, as a, as a general rule, I think that the evidence for flooding is from the last cataclysm. That would confuse people. They would think it's from Noah's flood, but there was a tremendous amount of flooding. The, the reason is because the earth shifted. It, it tilted. You know, it, it, There's no such thing as a polar flip or something like that. That has to do with a spherical globe But there was tremendous uh, flooding. And uh, basically the oceans... I think they um, they washed over the continents and then they receded and that's what did. And I think that the um, I think the Grand Canyon was uh, was created in the first century it's from that cataclysm. You know, I, I yes. think there's there's a huge conspiracy to cover this stuff up and make it look like it's millions of years old or something. You know. Yes, 100% correct in my view. Or, you, you're, or, you're right. Or it's 10,500 B.C. You keep hearing that date, 10,500 B.C. When you hear a date That's like right. that that many times, it has to be contrived, just like 70 A.D., 70 A.D. I don't know how many people come on Coast to Coast AM, you know, these uh, authors or researchers, and they start quoting 10,500 B.C. All they ever did, they just got that out of a book. Yeah. Like someone, for, like Graham Hancock. Fingerprints of the gods. I mean, he refers to that as some kind of authoritative date. Well, where'd that, where'd that date come from? It's manufactured, you know. It actually reminds me of a... Um, I, I, I am a quarry manager in, my, in a former life, and one of the quarries that I worked at had fossils uh, of uh, whales and dolphins in the limestone quarry. And um, the... The fellow that was my boss used to always enjoy telling people that this dolphin was 20 million and 33 years old. And people would say, how could they get the date so accurately? He said, well, they found this fossil 33 years ago and it was 20 million years old then, they said. Okay, I can't quite tell if you're joking at this point. (laughs) Are you joking? (laughs) What do you think it's a great joke? I think it was a great joke. He, he always used to be very amused by telling people that something was 20 million and 33 years old because he, he'd had it for 33 years since it was found. Yeah. Yeah, you had to do a past life regression for that one. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad you're not into that kind of... When I say, I, I, I'm metaphorically talking about a past life. Okay. I, I, I'm not. I'm much salt now. I'm not a quarry manager anymore. Is all I mean. You think you uh, might have had a previous life? No, I don't. Oh, okay. I, I, all of my lives have been lived in this one. I was more thinking of a career. It's just an expression here when we talk about a past life. Uh huh. I would think you'd be skeptical of that kind of thing, since you're pretty skeptical. No, it's not just that. It's it's more a case of 
as far as we know. I've got no reason to disbelieve the Bible, Dave, that's all. And as far as we know, um, the people that may have had a, been brought back to life are pretty far and few between. I think I would know that if I was one of them. Anyway, they had a guest on, uh, it's called a conspiracy show with David Syrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. He's an occasional host on uh, Coast to Coast AM. And he had this guy on there called Ian Patterson just recently. And Ian Patterson wrote a book on black ops, aliens, spirits, Bigfoot, and our untold history. Everything is connected. And, uh, again, you know, I listened to the interview, you know, hit and miss. But it was interesting that the guy was actually talking about a cataclysm in the first century. I couldn't believe it. And uh, he's only the second person besides me that I've heard. The other guy is, I'm absolutely certain, is an agent. He wrote a book, which I have in a PDF file, the other guy. And... uh, and the first, the other guy that I mentioned, he, he took a preterist view of uh, the future, that God actually abandoned humanity after this cataclysm of fire. And uh, it's like there's no hope for humanity. And it's just like, what? It's totally crazy. But he actually acknowledged the physical cataclysm. Well, this guy is doing the same thing, but he said the cataclysm was before Jesus, not too long before Jesus was born. I've never heard this before, but at least he's acknowledging the cataclysm. And what he's doing, he's pointing to evidence. Um, you know, everybody's timelines is wrong, you know. But uh, we don't really have a timeline, so you have to manufacture one or just guess, whatever the heck. But um, he was talking about what's called green glass phenomena. You can Google that, where there's evidence of what, you know, vitrified rock has been superheated. And see, most of these people, I think this is propaganda, they've been misdirected to believe that there was some, you know, some kind of a nuclear warfare in the past. And yeah. uh, some people will try to refer to the Vamanas, you know, the um, the Sanskrit yes, texts. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, used, I used to um, I pay a lot more attention to that. You know, they, they would have these elaborate description of these Vamanas, these, um, you know, flying machines. But unfortunately, I think that stuff is just uh, elaborate forgery. It could even be medieval. So I don't, I don't place any trust in it at all. I don't even know if the manuscripts are ancient or they could be, but they've been radically corrupted. But I don't trust them for anything. Yeah, I, think, I think it's reasonable to assume that before the flood, the population of the earth was gigantic. Billions. I'm not sure about that because people's um, lifespan, they lived a long time, so you didn't have a lot of die-offs back then. Um, I've never really researched that. It has to do with math, I think, a lot. You should be able to calculate it roughly. Yeah, it doesn't take very long at all to, to have an enormous population. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, um, the work of that that fellow that I talked to you about, the um, wise up guy, is saying that many of the ruin, what we call underground cities and so on, are actually just collapsed mega cities, wiped out by the hmm. flood, basically. Hmm. 
Now you got people saying that uh, Antarctica is Atlantis. Uh, that theory has been around for a while. I got the main book that promoted that. That's a pretty good book, actually. It talks about when the, the name of the title was When the Sky Fell. So this guy is talking about a cataclysm, too. I forget. I think he places it too far back in the past, though. Yeah. <clears throat> but he's appealing to, um, you know, these records or oral records um, of tribes around the earth. They talk about these cataclysms. They still remember them, you know. And people are not paying attention. They're not just talking about a flood. They're talking about more than one cataclysm. And the, sec- the last cataclysm was a cataclysm of, of water, too, but it was primarily fire. What'd you say? I was just wondering, what's, di- what, what, what's different between this and the flood? Are we having dinner tonight? Uh, well, a cataclysm of fire is more severe mm-hmm. because everything's destroyed and nothing survives. So if you look there in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says that the, both the birds and the fish are destroyed, and you didn't have that in the uh, local, or the uh, Noah's flood. You know, the birds were there, and the fish would have survived. But in a, in a fiery cataclysm, the oceans were superheated. How else would the, would the fish be destroyed? How do you destroy the fish, you know? Well, one way is if the water becomes too hot, they all die. <laughs> And this is and another thing. You, another thing you mentioned, Dave, which I was intrigued of, was you, you mentioned the possibility that in fact everything has been killed off and resurrected. Yeah, I was just going to say there that um, you you're creating a situation there where God literally has to recreate things. That's going to be a problem if you're that uh, kind of catastrophist. And we were given information about that. <clears throat> the angels did it. And they, um, that's the way it would always be done. And they, uh, they did it with the help of these elemental spirits that have to do with the four um, elements. They, uh, work the, the they, the, they work with the angels. These are the four, guys, the four guys that stand at the corners of the earth. That's interesting you point that out because um, it says right in your Bible that there's four angels which have to do with the four elements. Chris would just ignore that. What you see there is specialization. You see that? But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about elemental spirits. Those angels, they have elemental beings below them that they have that the, the elementals have to answer to. They take orders. See, they don't just work within their hierarchy. The angels actually govern other beings below them. And the elemental spirits, this is the way that God created things. They take care of creation every day. Yeah. They take everything, all of nature. This is what they do. And they took all of that knowledge and they just took it away. The Christians don't know anything. All all Christians have is angels and demons. And then the bad angels are, they're locked up somewhere. And that's all they have. That's all they have left. Right. Because it is in the Bible, of course. Well, yeah, if you know how to look uh, in the right place, yeah. Yeah, and uh, those elemental spirits, that's a pan-cultural belief. Yeah, yes, it's, it is. it's universal. Yeah, Not that you should trust every mythology or religion in the world, but when everybody believes in them, maybe you yeah. should uh, give it a second chance, you know? 
Yeah, well, that's, that's what's going on there with uh, the Garden of Eden, see, because around the world, I've mentioned uh, a book about this, but uh, mankind still remembers these, you know, these creation myths. And uh, they describe them um, reasonably similar. They have missing components, you know. But um, the reason I bring that up is because that reality is being suppressed in educational curriculum because that's going to validate the book of Genesis that basically mankind remembers the story of Genesis. And they will not yeah. – that's why you, you will never hear this because they don't want you to hear it because that – what is that telling you? Because it's true. That's why. And, and that's going to give validity – uh, if not to Christianity, at least to Judaism, neither one of them, because it's based on Genesis, you know. I mean, Judaism and Christianity are actually based on Genesis 1 through 11. That's what they're based on. And that's why Jesus quoted those passages so much. Mm. So if, if they're not valid, then Jesus goes down the tubes as well. <clears throat> that's how important it is. Yeah. And it's um, the story of the elementals, as you talk about, the holding the, at the four corners of the of the world. And well, controlling those, are the, those are the angels. I don't think the elementals do that, but the angels do it. Those well, four they, angels they, they, what, yeah. One, one controls fire, one controls air, one controls wind. Oh, sorry, one controls wind, one controls water. And there's one other that it's, it's slipped my mind. Earth, water, fire, and air, and yeah, the four I think elements. That, I think, yeah, I think it's those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's was, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's, 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 that's the, just a second, Frank. Can I say something real quick? Can I say sure, something real before, quick? Before we move on, if people are okay. interested in, is there there are two films by Terry Pratchett, uh, who wrote the books that that basically describe that model extremely well. Go ahead. Sorry, Dave. Well, I was just going to say that if you're going to introduce the concept of these elemental beings that have to do with the, the four substances, that would be a good place to go is that passage in Revelation where at least you have four angels involved with that. Yeah. The Christians, they're not even aware that's in the Bible. They just don't. They read past it. They don't, they don't see the significance of that. So that kind of helps you, because um, you, there you can see that, see, God is ordering these things in a hierarchical fashion. The Protestant mind does not think about hierarchy in relationship to angels. They just don't think about it. You know what I mean? That God does yeah. things through a hierarchical um, form, process. The yeah. Protestant mind doesn't think about angels very much, and because of that, they don't think about God using angels. But it seems to be the opposite of the Protestant belief. I used to believe that too, but he he works through a mediated form. He's got all kinds of beings involved. That's just the way God does everything. You know, it flows down from on high through this high, high, highly hierarchical structure. And they took all that away. Because that's going to help you understand a lot of things. So I don't want you to know about that so, either. So, so when you say they, I always assume uh, that it, that it's Nakash or the devil. Do you, who do you think it is? Uh, dark celestial beings. 
Yeah, not not the Illuminati because they don't plan anything significant. I don't think. So, so the devil is not a dark celestial being. Yeah, he is. He's the prince of the power of the air. That has to do with uh, heaven or something like that. I think he got kicked out of heaven already. Yes, it was. It was stripped of his of his armor and and his wings were smashed. I don't know about that. But... Oh, you haven't read that bit? Uh, it doesn't talk about his wings being smashed. Or his armor, as far as I know. Are you trying to base okay, it on I'll Isaiah 14 or something? I'll have to try and find where I read it now. Mm. And, uh, that's not in the regular Bible. Okay. So... Where are you getting this information from about uh, Solomon's ring? Are you getting that from the key of Solomon? Uh, okay, so this came from, um, I think, I, a, a website that I talked to you about, Spoken Scriptures. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll have to find that link. That, that's really interesting, isn't it? Well, that's supposed to be from a magical text that has to do with the occult. I mean... It's it's a magical text. It's used by medieval magicians. If we're thinking of the right text here, the Key of Solomon is that what it is? Yes, something like that. Yep. Okay. Well, that I mean, that's not something that Christians should be looking at. So, I, I mean, it's magic. It's a magical text, as far as I know. That's what we're talking about here. Right, and Christians are not, not allowed to look at it. Is that right? Because magic doesn't exist. No. Magic exists, but Christians just, they don't need to be focused on that kind of thing too much. It's its dangerous, you know. They don't have enough knowledge, and uh, so they should just stay away. That's what I would recommend. Interesting. There's too many other things uh, that you need to give your time to. And most Christians just need to focus on prayer and um, reading the Bible. They, they have a problem doing that. They don't need... Make things more complicated. It's pretty simple, actually. They can't even do the simple things. They're too distracted. Or whatever, whatever the problem is. It's not happening, so. Yeah, I, I guess, as I said, the net result is that, that 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 particular book says that uh, the arrival of Jesus will um, make the ring of Solomon redundant. I haven't heard of that before. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like you're going to hear of it because if you're not going to read it, it's not going to happen. For all I know, uh, Solomon had a magical ring, but you're not going to be able to prove it by that manuscript. It's not trustworthy, so... You actually can't trust any of those manuscripts. You can't trust any of the manuscripts. And as far as the quality of them, you wouldn't have any certainty. And again, you'd have to rely on revelation, which wouldn't be, you know, have absolute certainty without. So you, we, just, we just don't know about these things. You know, people want to know. They want to have a certainty, but you really can't. So it's unfortunate. God took it away. And, um, he's going to restore it according to what the Bible says. So you just have to wait. Be patient. Hmm. Okay, I am going to disappear. 
Thank you very much uh, again, Doug. All right. Okay. And nice to meet you, uh, Mid Southeast Texas. You too. Take care, guys. All right. Thanks, Frank. All right, George. Well, you can dialogue a little longer if you want. It's up to you. Yeah, how are you doing? I don't want to hold you too much longer, but I could uh, keep going. I'm doing fine. I'm rebooting my computer here. Well, uh, I just wanted to finish up my thought on that uh, lost island in the North Atlantic. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of the the Welsh legend of Avalon or... Oh, yeah. You know, the Irish legend of... Uh, I think it was called Tirnanog. Yeah. Uh, Irish myths. Yeah. Anyway... I'm Irish, uh, so um, 50%. So I'm very familiar with any kind of uh, ancient tales from Ireland. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I've actually been fascinated by that. You know, um, let me say something about Ireland. Um, Ireland is a very mystical mysterious place it's an unusual place mm-hmm. and um it's so unusual you don't hear about this kind of thing um what i'm going to say right now but you could make the case that um along with some place like tibet it's the most mystical place on earth that that really puts in perspective when you start comparing it with tibet now, a lot of people wouldn't know about tibet okay but um, it's very unusual. And right next to it, of course, you have England. And England has the highest per capita number of witches. They don't want you to know that. But um, there's a lot of Satanism and uh, witchcraft in England. <clears throat> and I think that England runs the show, but somebody else runs England. So that's why there's so many Satanists there. And it, it comes across as witchery. That's something that's really, really darker. I think it has to do with energy and frequency. There's something unusual about Ireland, though. Yeah, well, just all those sacred stone sites and ley lines. Yeah. Yeah. It has its attractive and its dark, unattractive uh, mystic qualities to it. Have you looked into ley lines in uh, Ireland? Uh, Not so much in Ireland. A little bit, but more in England. It's easier to they find do have, they do have. Do they actually have them in uh, Ireland? I, I, I'm not sure. That. I know they have them in England. I'm sure they do. I know for a fact that they have. I don't think these are connected by ley lines. Maybe they are, but they have uh, these things called round towers. Um, they're they're these tall, very thin, uh, circular uh, towers with these cone-shaped tops. Hmm. And they're they're a little bit wider at the base than at the top. They taper a little as they rise, but they are apparently laid out in a gigantic map over all of Ireland that uh, mirrors some of the constellations. Uh, I have not heard this. It's it's based on the research of a guy named Philip Callahan. That's two L's in Philip and two L's in Callahan. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely a pattern there. It looks like the constellations were purposely mirrored. 
there's a controversy about the, the, the pyramids over in Egypt that they actually reflect on Earth, the constellation Orion. There's people that are saying that's disinformation. Then you have guest after guest. Actually, the, comp, the, the, the big guests that they have on Coast to Coast, they all seem to reinforce that view. You know, that this is true. It has to do with Orion. I'm not sure. I'm talking about those use. three big pyramids at Giza? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that, and then I've heard that I think, I can't remember if the Aztec or the Maya, uh, I think Chichen Itza, mm-hmm. which would be Maya, or, or maybe it's Tenochtitlan, but one of those Central American sites, uh, there's also a mirroring of those three stars of the belt of Orion in the pyramids. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with that uh, because you would think that kind of thing would be going on, that they would want to do that. Because um, I think in the ancient world they had a strong concept of as below, as above, so below. And so mm-hmm. they would want to reflect those things on Earth to some degree. And I think they were doing that kind of stuff anywhere. Uh, doing it anyway elsewhere. <laughs> I've been on here for too long. <laughs> Anyway, you think if those are meant to reflect Orion, that it's some kind of esoteric uh, belief in the origins of Orion? I'm not sure about the Great Pyramids, but I would I would expect that that kind of thing would occur, that they would try to um, reconstruct uh, the constellations on Earth in some, some form. You would just expect that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as... Um, the pyramids, I'm not, I'm not sure. I haven't looked into it enough to prove, be convinced either way. So <clears throat> at least there's people being skeptical about that kind of thing. And they're not the wrong people because you've got some people out there, you know, the, the scientific mind, they don't accept any of this stuff. I think it's all just a bunch of hogwash. You know, they, don't, they just believe what standard science says. Anything out of the box, and that's false. You know, it's not in the textbooks. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And they build a career out of that. And uh, they do well because the system is there to defend them. You see, they got it made. But you're basically selling your soul, you know, just like these um, these news reporters. Um, someone once famously said he was a news reporter himself, something along the lines, you know, we're all prostitutes. They call them uh, prostitutes, you know what I mean? They just whore themselves out for the Associated <laughs> Press. All they do is just repeat information. They don't really um, explore anything, and if they do, and, it, and it's out of the box, then you get to, you got to keep your mouth shut, or you're going to be fired. That's just the way it is around here, you know. And there's example after example of sincere reporters who didn't understand how the system worked, because not all of them do. Just like weathermen, you know, they're just reporters. They're not all Illuminati. They're not all in a, in a secret society. And they tried to get the story out, and, uh, oh, no, you can't do that. You know, it's just like trying to heal somebody in America. No, no, you, you, you can't do that. So um, you either have to shut it down or they shut you down. You know, they'll warn you first or you'll get backlash, um, either direct or indirect. If it's indirect, then you're supposed to get the message. A lot of people don't because they don't understand the system's controlled, and they're going, what's wrong? And they start trying to bang the drum louder. And uh, but the next level is they fire you, you're done, you know. And some of these people never figure out why I got fired because they don't believe that in a system of control. 
But it's designed to shut down the truth in a significant level right down the line. The only time you get the truth is when they're trying to suck you in so they can feed you more lies. They're going to sacrifice some truths, you know. It's pretty bad, man. It's frustrating because it takes so long and so much labor. I mean, to most people, obviously, it's not worth it to try to figure out what is real. It's like people don't know what to do after they get an education, but that's that's your job, you know, your side job, a part-time job. The rest of your life, try to figure out what's real, you know. People are just satisfied. Well, I got my little occupation now. I went to school. and uh, But no, no, no. You still got a job to do. Everyone is required to do this. People don't do it at all. They just look to the authorities, you know, the experts. And they believe the, the soothing lies. Well, they're not all soothing because they got lots of propaganda and fear-mongering, don't they? Scare the people. All through history, they scare the people. That's the appropriate response, you see, because if they can scare the people, then they can be more easily herded. You know, like cattle. Yeah. Scare the people so you can herd them more efficiently. That's what they do. The Illuminati was even in the business of scaring Christians to... You know, to be Christians, to be Roman Catholic, and trust the system. That's going to get you too. Look to the Roman Catholic Church in all things. So what's their track record? What do you think? Roman Catholic Church so far, are they um, helping the people? Yeah. <laughs> Whore of Babylon, drunk on the blood of the saints. I think we yeah. Uh-huh. They slaughter the people. I know that's not what you think, that the Whore of Babylon verse means, but well, we had they a guy fit that on pattern. Last night. We had a guy on last week. Uh, see, I didn't say anything. Um, I didn't want to... I just wanted him to talk, you know. He's a friend of mine, the guy in Spain. Mm-hmm. But he held to the belief that... Uh, uh, he holds to the belief that the Roman Catholic Church is uh, the whore of Babylon. Is that what you believe? I used to. Um, when I first started getting deeper into who's the top bad guy, on the dark mm-hmm. side. Uh, at first I heard of the Jesuits and the Roman Catholics with, you know, the Inquisition. Mm-hmm. And then I had to take it a step further and say, well, maybe they're some of the head guys on the human level, but, you know, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, so there must be demons or something running them behind the scenes. Well, that's exactly what I was talking about earlier. See, if you look at that passage in Ephesians 6, Christians don't understand it. They think it's talking about demons. And uh, whatever it's talking about, it's talking about dark entities that are powerful, you know, principalities and powers, but it's a heavenly scene, which doesn't make any sense to a Christian at all. Go look at the text. It says in heavenly places, you see. So you have dark Elohim, in heaven, but you have these lower dark heavens. They have less light. If you could just get to the point, they dumbed everything down so much. They made almost all Protestant Christians um, buy into the Schofield Reference Bible concept of heaven, where you 
have this simplistic view that there's three heavens and the lower heaven is the earth's atmosphere. We've all heard this kind of stuff. And you'll hear people repeat over and over, oh, the three heavens. Nowhere in the Bible does it explicitly mention three heavens. And I've talked about this before. But uh, anyway, if you can get to the point that there's more than one heaven, okay, once you're thinking of light and darkness, which Christians don't think about that either if they're Protestant, it's amazing, then they're not going to be all be equal. And one of them is going to be higher than another. And all I'm saying is that the lower heaven or heavens is, is quote-unquote darker. It has less light. It has more of a murky quality to it. And I'm saying that, uh, well, first of all, based on that passage in Ephesians 6, so you could postulate the theory about a darker heaven or some kind of a darker environment in heaven just based on that scripture alone. Because it says, here's what it's saying in a nutshell. Your enemies, the enemies that you need to be concerned about, they dwell in heaven. That's the message right there. Do Christians get that message? No. They don't get it. They have such a dumbed-down view that they will allow, uh, like, Satan to be a bad guy in heaven. Uh, But they don't really think about uh, the fallen angels. They think that the angels fall rapidly, like in Genesis 6. They don't realize that they could be in a negative state for a long period of time. But God doesn't kick them out yet. He allows them to dwell there. you got to remember the great majority of Protestant Christians, they oppose the scholarly view. The scholars have traditionally taught that that um, a Satan was kicked out of heaven in the first century. Because you look at Revelation 12 and you see a first century context. Now, it's, it's also a future, but in that immediate context, it's first century. It, it's not, it hasn't jumped into the future. There is a leap in the future. But... Uh, uh, they they don't see that. So um, I think God has blinded his own people from understanding the Bible. That's what I believe. So anyway, I mean, Satan, uh, excuse me, um, Christians believe that um, this is what they believe. They believe that Satan is in heaven right now because they do not believe that he's been cast out yet. See, this is the common belief. So, um, you know, make some modifications, be consistent, you know. See, they're not doing anything with the environment. They have this pristine environment called heaven, and for some mysterious reason, uh, the most evil being uh, in existence is dwelling in heaven. They still think he's in heaven, and God's going to cast him out. But they think that the environment is totally pristine. Well, if you go back to Ephesians 6, it's not just Satan. It's all the beings. All the beings, it doesn't put a qualifier on it, that are the enemies of Christians, the Bible places them in heaven. And you got to look at the different translations. You know, a common one will, it will be heavenly places. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that's not compatible with the common Christian belief, which, again, is based on Schofield Reference Bible, and it's propaganda. That's what it is, as usual. It's too bad that Christians don't think about propaganda directed at them. Do they ever think about that? No. Well, see, these guys have got it so easy. See, God is not, this is how you can tell that God wants his people to be blind. Okay? Because what is God doing 
to notify his people, you know, the local church type people, that um, that there's deceptive propaganda directed at them. It's real simple. We're going to keep it real simple. What has God done to notify these people that there's significant propaganda that's directed at them? Now, if you're just thinking at all, and you didn't know anything, but you knew a few things. There's a devil, and he doesn't like Christians, okay? Wouldn't you be thinking that he would be creating propaganda directed at Christians? I mean, propaganda... It's just lies. Just lie. Okay, well, of course he's going to lie to God's people. Well, if he does it through the system, the world system, obviously some of that would come out the other side as propaganda. So can they get to that level? They can't even do that. Now, why? This is why I say that God has blocked their minds. First of all, we know God's not helping them. He's not helping them see these things. If they heard this, they'd be hearing it for the first time. It'd be something to consider. It'd be an outlandish theory. And then they'd go, well, I, I never heard no pastor talking about this, so I'm not going to worry about it, you know. See, that's their attitude. If there's not a lot of pastors talking about it, there's nothing to be concerned about, or it's probably not true. Because why wouldn't there be more pastors talking about it? They don't understand. Obviously, God has blinded these pastors. And see, very few Christians can process that. Because they're going to have a completely different model of the church now. See, what I'm saying is what we call the church is actually under God's ongoing judgment. And you can see that by the fact he's just not doing anything significant to help these people. And I'm saying there's a reason he's not doing that, because they're going to be destroyed. Now, the same thing was true in the first century. Why didn't God illuminate more minds and enable them to receive their Messiah? Because Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. So the ultimate responsibility of opening um, a, a man's mind, unblocking their ears, opening their eyes, the main responsibility is God. The Bible teaches you can't actually do that because of your nature, you're bound. You can't even choose God. And uh, you have to wait on God. And this is why... The, great majority of people in history, they, they just go straight to hell. Because God, there's no evidence that he did anything for them. You know, it, 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 go back in time, you know, 500 years ago, 2,500 years ago, people never even heard a message. So what was he doing to save them? You have to come up with theories that, um, well, they don't need to hear the message. They just go to heaven anyway. The Bible doesn't teach that. So that's why I say that God has to help these people later. Otherwise, nothing even makes any sense. You just have God send most people to hell. That doesn't make any sense. But this is what most Christians believe, by the way. They don't think about it. They don't think about it just like they don't like to think about, well, actually, it was God that killed all the animals and uh, uh, the infants and the infants, uh, the unborn children and all the women in the Great Flood. It was God that did that. They don't like to think about that. You know what I mean? Well, they don't like to think about the fact that that's their belief system, right? God just destroyed everybody except for eight people. That's what they believe. Uh, and they don't like to think about um, these other things, too. So they just don't think about it. And uh, you can see that the Christians are not thinking a whole heck of a lot of the time. And that's why I have to say that their minds have been blocked, and I believe that God blocked them. 
they, these people definitely don't have a lot of common sense. And um, they, they may be around the house, you know, like tinkering around the house or fixing things, but I'm not talking about that, you know. They don't understand how the world, or actually they don't understand reality, which is kind of sad because they're supposed to have a biblical worldview, biblical mind view. <laughs> you know where that mind view comes from? It's a, it's a worldview that is false, and it comes from Illuminati think tanks. It comes from the social engineers, and it's given to uh, Christians on a platter. You know, when you don't have to work very hard, you know, you just go to church, just plug in, and they hand you this worldview on a platter. You know, you used to have this old uh, worldview. Then you got saved. Now you go to church, and they give you a new worldview on a platter, and uh, that worldview is false as well. You know what I mean? I mean, when you go to the local church, they actually do give you a worldview on a platter. It's a new worldview, and people just accept it. They rejoice. But see, um, that worldview is false as well. It's a, um, it's a happy world where you can plug into Jesus and everything will be fine. You'll be just going to talk about blessings and uh, all that yeah, kind of stuff. He's the vending machine in the sky. We're not going to talk about suffering. We're not going to talk about persecution. We're not going to talk about sacrifice. We're not going to talk about martyrdom. We're not going to talk about organized evil. Because we don't talk about that. And there's a whole lot of things we don't talk about, including politics and all kinds of other stuff. And um, this is obviously not any kind of uh, environment for learning or improving yourself at any significant level. That's not going to happen in church. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's another reason I've uh, kind of not stopped going to church. It's because you know the rare occasion when it is good and enlightening uh, stuff. There's still no no platform for dialogue. It's all monologue. It's sit there and be programmed, just like in school. Sit down, shut up. You know, stuff yourself with the knowledge and then regurgitate it on the test and then forget it later. It's just not it's not designed for actual intellectual acquirement of knowledge and understanding. Yeah. It's designed that way deliberately. Shamefully, uh you have less input in a local church than you do like in middle school, high school, cl- uh college classroom setting. And I mm-hmm. think possibly even in the watchtower itself. I think I have to check this, but I think they can ask questions, at least on occasion. I mean, man, if you're going to ask a question at church, you better be doing it when you shake the pastor's hand on the way out. You can't spend too much time because there's somebody behind you in the line, you know, wants to shake his hand too, you know. And uh, Exactly. Yeah, there's no arena for, uh, for, yeah, like dialogue, like I said. You better keep it short. See, it's one way. Yeah, when you're going out the door, that's designed too, by the way. You know what that's designed for? Complimenting the pastor and reinforcing the programming. Oh, that was, I just love that sermon of yours, right? You don't have time to critique anything. You got to go out the door. Somebody behind you wants to shake his hand, right? Yeah. So they don't make it easy because you're not going to feel comfortable, and you're not supposed to. You're supposed to feel very uncomfortable critiquing your pastor. People do feel uncomfortable, and that's why they don't do it. Because there's nothing there that encourages that. Everything discourages that. 
And what the heck is that? That is a cultic system. It's obvious, but we don't like to say that because we don't like the word cultic because that would mean that you're implying it's a cult, Dave. Everything is a cult in this society. And the slaves, look, if it's a slave system and you break it up into different categories, these different categories are going to be, you know, like institutions or something like that. They're going to be cultic because it's a slave system. It all comes down to one thing. Uh, the minds of the people are enslaved. So anytime you have a, a group of these or gathering of these people, it has to be cultic because their minds are enslaved. It doesn't even matter who's teaching. Uh, if, if they're teaching truth, these people reject it because their minds are enslaved. They've been um, enslaved by propaganda. And you think that you can just set the truth in their lap? Oh, no. You can try doing that. But they're going to reject it and they'll reject you individually as a person. And they probably won't like you. Christians are very suspicious of anything outside of the box. So if you start coming outside of the box, they'll become immediately suspicious of you, that you're a tool of the devil or, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they don't believe in Satanists or Satanism. But, you know, never, in any, never. anything they haven't heard of before, then they believe in conspiracy to deceive. That's really shameful that they don't talk about those two subjects in churches all across America. Because that's the enemy's organized Satanism. You can call them Illuminati if you want. That's fine. But um, it's organized Satanism. That's the opposite of God's people. And they're in control. God put them there to rule over us because Israel sinned. And, th- and I just want to say, I haven't said this on the show, but the reason that the world is suffering, I wrote this down this week. The world is suffering because Israel is being punished. We're all suffering. It's not just Israel or it's not just the church. You know, because see, most Christians are going to say, I'm not Israel. Okay, if you want to believe that Israel is over them over there, that's fine. Same thing applies. We are all suffering because Israel over there um, being punished. In other words, we can never do that well as long as, in, as long as Israel is suffering. It's not like, see, the Christians believe they can have this wonderful life that God's going to punish the Jews, at least in the short term, because they crucified Christ. Not, not everybody believes that. A lot of people say, oh, the Jews had nothing to do. Go read um, Acts chapter 4. It goes into explicit detail that uh, the Jews... Actually, says the Jews were responsible. <laughs> so that's that's a direct con- uh, contradiction with Scripture. They're probably just not familiar with Acts chapter four, right? Because you always get these people. See, the nation was collectively responsible before God. This is the biblical teaching. The whole nation was guilty. There's a collective guilt that's taught in Scripture. There's an individual guilt, but a nation themselves can be guilty. And this is why they're judged by God. You see that? Mm-hmm. Because the whole nation is guilty. Um, obviously, there's different degrees of individual guilt, but it doesn't matter. And so that's when judgment falls. And the same thing is going to happen to America. And we're already collectively guilty. And I don't believe that anything can be done to stop this judgment because I think it's prophesied. 
So you're either going to be in America or you're going to be out of America. If you're in America, then you'll have to suffer as well. Just like Jeremiah did. He couldn't escape the suffering, you know. You know, if there's a famine, you're either in the midst of that in a geographical area or you're going to travel uh, to another place. But if you don't do that, then you're going to suffer. Unless you are a person of means and you've taken adequate preparation, right? Mm -hmm. The common man is going to suffer when God does these kind of things. Christians are not, they're not ready for this. They're not ready for suffering. They're soft. They're not strong. They haven't built their spiritual muscles and their minds are weak. And they're not even suspicious about anything coming that they need to be concerned about because they're not being warned. And they actually, uh, over 90% of them, believe in the pre-trib rapture. And this is a delusion. It's a deception from Illuminati. And uh, roughly 9 out of 10 Protestant conservative Christians believe this. This is what they believe. I'm talking about people who actually listen to me. I'm aware of that. While these people, and when they come in here, you know, they're pre-tribulationalists. Yeah, that's what I used to be. Yeah. Well, that, you go to a local church? Uh, maybe until about two years ago. It's funny because they don't even teach about Bible prophecy. I've, I've talked about this before. You would think that they teach about Bible prophecy in local church. Um, very little. <clears throat> but um, without actually teaching anything about prophecy, you'll just notice that uh, you talk to people and uh, almost everyone is a pre – they believe in a pre-trib rapture. The pastor believes in one, you know. To get out of suffering free card. Yeah. It'll all be fine in the by and by. There's nothing to worry about. God has it under control. Just trust, brother. Have more faith. We'll see how that works in the FEMA camp. <clears throat> yeah. That's where they will voluntarily go. Um, yeah, the local church goers, they'll, they'll go right to the FEMA camps because they're not going to have any uh, provision. And I said before, this is not entirely bad, but what you need to do is get out of that FEMA camp. You need to get out of it. But when people don't have food or water, um, they will just naturally go there. Even the people that are saying, I will never go to a FEMA camp. If you've got a family, you don't have any resources, you'll go right there. What are you going to do, sit there and starve? I think the mark of the beast is different. Um, if people are convinced that this is the mark, whatever it is, then uh, the faithful one should reject it. But I don't think that's going to happen with a FEMA camp. You have people saying, I will never go to a FEMA camp. Let's see what happens when they get hungry and thirsty. You know what I mean? Don't even, so assume, there's going to, don't even assume there's going to be any water. You can't assume there's even going to be any water. Go ahead. I've heard in the past you present a radically different uh, eschatological view. Um, but how much of, because of the first century cataclysm belief, how much of the book of Revelation do you believe has not yet been fulfilled? Um, you, I, because you just mentioned the mark of the beast. Again, you can only go by Revelation. So that's all you can do. Okay, so we tried to do that. There were several people there. There were two prophetesses. 
And we were told that the entire book of Revelation was fulfilled. And there's nothing... Oh, excuse me. Let me take that back. This would be uh, between chapter 6 and 19. Not before that and not Revelation 20 through 22. And um, it doesn't make any sense that it would all be fulfilled because um, it's talking about, well, actually talking about cataclysms. You see, these people don't know there was a cataclysm. But um, people will acknowledge that in all apocalyptic literature that has, um, you know, is trustworthy, um, you know, contained within the canon, setting the book of Revelation aside, scholars, they don't have a problem saying that it has double fulfillment. You know what I mean? That's that's natural for apocalyptic literature. Well, (laughs) the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. And you don't hear people talking about double fulfillments. Okay? So, we were told there are double fulfillments, um, but it was fulfilled in its entirety, and it's going to be fulfilled again, but not across the board. Now, this, we have to be prepared for this because this is the way that Scripture is sometimes. If there's a double fulfillment, what typically happens is with the prototype, you'll have a partial fulfillment of an event. And you can actually see that in text. You'll see a text that will say, well, hmm, that looks like it's talking about something that happened in the past. Maybe it had to do with the Babylonian captivity, but there's no way it was fulfilled entirely. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you could see it. Well, that didn't happen. This didn't happen. Okay, but the other stuff did. So it looks like a type. Uh, but then in the future event, you have a complete fulfillment of that prophecy. Well, that's, that's the case it usually is, but sometimes you have the opposite. Sometimes the, uh, with a prototypical event, you have a complete fulfillment. In the, uh, and sometimes you wouldn't even want to call this a, a secondary fulfillment, but there's a later... Sometimes it's like a shadowy type. It w- I wouldn't even say it's a, a biblical fulfillment, but it's still a type, like a shadow. And uh, but the uh, the complete fulfillment happens the first time around, and that's what I'm saying is going on with this. But you don't have to live or die over that. Um, you can just forget all the first century stuff. It helps you to understand things. But I didn't used to have that view. You know, I didn't even think about it. I was going what? I got that through revelation through a group of people. But it makes sense to me now because all these different things in the book of Revelation, like the stars falling to earth and the you know, the mountains and islands being moved out of their place, that's a massive cataclysm. All the islands disappear, all the mountains disappear. This is what it talks about in Isaiah forty. And that's a first century context. We're talking about Isaiah forty, verse four where it talks about the mountains and the valleys being radically altered. Well, that is, here's the thing, that, we're going to prove something here, okay? <clears throat> now, what the church is going to do, so let's put some context here. Isaiah 40, verse 3, refers to John the Baptist. How do we know that with absolute certainty? If you go to John chapter 1, there were emissaries that were sent to John, and they asked him a pointed question. Are you Elijah? He said, no. 
Okay, so he was not the reincarnation of Elijah, according to John. But, somewhat curiously, the emissaries believed in that doctrine. They believed in a literal Elijah coming back. And he, and he denied that, okay. But, here's what he said. I am the voice crying in the wilderness. In other words, he was saying that he was a literal fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verse 3. You see that? Hmm. Now, the Bible talks about a future wilderness, Revelation 12, and where there's going to be a prophet. Because we know that because um, there's a new Elijah coming, according to Matthew 17, 11, and other verses, okay? It can't be John because John was dead. So you're going to have a place of protection, and you're going to have a prophet. We'll just put the two together. You know what I mean? In mm-hmm. Revelation 12, 14, it says the woman um, was protected, and she was um, nourished, nourished away from the face of the serpent. That means she's protected, and she's also nourished. But what kind of nourishment? Well, God has to give them everything they need. So it's going to be spiritual uh, nourishment, and it's going to be physical. Initially, the physical uh, nourishment is more important. I'm not, I'm not talking about going to hell or not, but because if, you, if, if you're not alive, then nothing matters anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I mean, this is why Christians are so deceived, because um, they're not taking care of the bodies. You know? But yeah, um, okay, so we have proof from the words of John the Baptist that Isaiah 40, verse 3, was fulfilled in the first century. Now, I believe that it's going to be fulfilled a second time through this new Elijah, who's actually kind of a type of John the Baptist, but technically both Elijah and the prophet are types, historical types, of Elijah the prophet. And this is why it says in Luke chapter 1 that he will come in the power and spirit of Elijah. Obviously, According to that passage, um, he's, John's going to be a type of Elijah, even though he doesn't fulfill it literally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus said <clears throat> in Matthew uh, 11 that he said, if you can receive it, John, um, he's the one, he's the Elijah who wants to come. You know, he said past tense. He's acknowledging that um, John fulfilled the prophecy in Malachi 4 or 5 to some degree, not in a literal sense, because he's not Elijah, okay? Um, But there's another one coming, and so that's why he said he's the Elijah who was to come. And then later in Matthew 17, 11, he talks about the Elijah who, who is to come. Well, he just says Elijah will come. But he's saying that when John was dead. Okay, so anyway, um, you can see that it, it, once you understand there's a prophet coming, you can understand why there would be a double fulfillment in Isaiah 40, verse 3. This is the voice crying out in the wilderness. The reason is because according to um, Ezekiel 20 and Revelation 12, uh, 14, and other passages too, I think like Jeremiah, is it 31 or 30? It talks about the wilderness, <clears throat> being protected in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Then um, 
that has to refer to the prophet because he's going to be in the wilderness with the people. It's not like he's going to be separated from the people. Wherever the people are, the prophet will be there ministering to them. Okay, just it, just because it doesn't identify him in Revelation 12, that doesn't mean anything. They have a leader, okay? Now, by the way, that leader is in Hosea 1.11. It actually mentions him in Hosea 1.11. It says, um, they will appoint one leader and come up out of the land. They're traveling from point A to point B. And uh, the context there. Uh, it has to do with when uh, Israel and Judah are reunited. You can look it up. Israel and Judah will, will be reunited. Well, they're going to be restored. That's that's literal. That's not replacement theology. And then they will appoint a leader. Okay? And then they're going to go from point A to point B. Well, that's the Exodus. See, so they're going to have a leader. And so anyway, so Isaiah 40, verse 3, was fulfilled at least initially in the first century, according to Scripture. There should be no question about that. You're going to have to spiritualize the text, okay? But what does that tell us about Isaiah 40, verse 4, where it says, Every mountain will be made low and every valley raised up? Now, let's just be honest. Christians believe the book of Revelation is future, and... What are they going to do with that passage? They're going to spiritualize it. All right? Mm-hmm. They, they can't comprehend that that could be literal. How many minds can comprehend that? But that passage is um, is referring exactly what it's talking about in uh, the book of Revelation, where it says every uh, island and mountain fled away. In other words, they were no longer seen. Uh, it says, every valley shall be raised up, Isaiah 40, verse 4, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. See how they spiritualize that text? This has some kind of um, wonderful spiritual application. It's also profound. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No. It's just talking about uh, a massive catastrophe. Notice it says that every mountain. It's not putting a qualifier on it. You know what I mean? Is that every mountain in Israel? Well, it doesn't say that. That's the cataclysm. You see? So, um, and then if you go back and you look at Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2, that has absolutely nothing to do with John's day at all. Because um, John the Baptist spoke a message of doom. He said, um, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He said, you brood of vipers, right? Mm-hmm. He was prophesying judgment. And that happened in the, in the latter part of the first century. And uh, John died before anything good happened. He didn't live to see anything. I'm talking about there was good things that happened in the first century, but he didn't even see that. You know what I mean? And so um, God is speaking to the prophet in Isaiah 40, verse 1, and he's giving him a message that God identifies as a message of comfort and hope. 
It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. It's a command. He's speaking to the prophet. And this is a good message. It says, speak. He's being commanded to speak. Speak tenderly. See that? Tenderly to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is metaphorical. Jerusalem is used in Scripture to represent God's people, just like Zion. So don't trip, get tripped. He's not telling them to speak to a city. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service, now that's an important word or phrase to look up, her hard service, has been completed. Actually, what you know has to do with the slavery. It's referring to us right now. Now he's saying, what do I talk about in the show? I, I talk about a period of probation. I talk about this corporate judgment. That's what it is, you see. We're all under it. This is why we're getting sprayed by chemtrails. God's not doing to help his people. He's talking about this period being completed. And then it says that her sin has been paid for. I don't want to go on that right now. That has to do with atonement. And um, Christians think that all atonement just has to do with um, Christ on the cross. The Bible does not speak about that. Um, but it's complex. First of all, the word atonement is not even used in the New Testament. So all this atonement talk is not strictly biblical. I, I believe that Christ atoned for our sins. You know what I mean? But um, they <clears throat> they kind of go wild with that word. It's kind of like Christian talk. You know what I mean? But uh, anyway, I mean, she had to pay for her sins. You know how to pay for your sins is by suffering. Okay, and that's what we're doing. Uh, we're collectively being judged for Israel's sin. We're all suffering because of, of their sin. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Then it says next, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. You know, you know what the way for the Lord is? See, we look at that and we go, oh, well, that's just, you know, like John the Baptist. And uh, guess what? In this particular instance, that's the exodus right there. I, you don't make, maybe make a big thing out of that. But um, so this is very interesting. Um, we know that uh, verse 3 has to do with the first century fulfillment. And there's every reason to believe that it has to do with the secondary fulfillment. What's important is the verses before that, verses 1 and 2, and uh, verses 3 and 4, they actually have to do with the first century fulfillment. Now, a lot of people wouldn't think about that. I I meant to say with verse 5 as well. Because it says, um, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all, all mankind together will see it, because Christians are going to go, well, that's the second coming. And I'm saying, yeah, it is the second coming. But it happened in the first century. So I know that people that listen to the show don't believe that. But um, what they need to do is educate themselves. And uh, I think there's uh, yeah, there's a list of uh, imminency scriptures out there. You could put... Um, there was a guy called David Green that created a list of these. I think it's 101. 
And it's just passage after passage that shows you the second coming is imminent. You can't stretch it and put it in the distant future. But if you believe in the new exodus, you've got a problem there because um, if you think Jesus is coming in the near future, then you've got to reconcile that with the exodus. Okay? Most people don't believe in exodus, so they have a problem with that. And the way that I used to solve this problem is I became a post-millennialist. And so I placed the, um, the second coming at the end of the age. And this will sound strange to people because the only thing they're ever exposed to is dispensational propaganda. You know, premillennialism, pre-trib rapture. This is all they ever hear. Every single Christian movie about prophecy, not one of them that I'm aware of is deviated from uh, dispensational propaganda. No, left behind you. Same old thing, you know, over and over again. You know what I mean? So, um, so anyway, I mean uh, that would seem strange to them, but actually, um, there's something that they don't know. As usual, there's a lot of things they don't know. But when America was at its greatest spiritual height in the first Great Awakening, um, it's a proven fact that most people in that revival. This is way back in the 18th century. Um, most of them were post-millennial, okay? They were not pre-millennial. These are conservative Christians. Now, there was a reason that they were, uh, because that revival was so powerful, it affected, it affected their eschatology, okay? And they had a very hopeful, positive eschatology. Um, it would be hard to be a, pre, a post-millennialist right now, you know, the way that uh, you, you couldn't base it on, on society because there's no – you don't see any hope. Everybody, everything is devolving, getting worse. But back then, it was kind of the opposite, at least as far as the hearts of the people, the hearts of God's people. Yeah, the hearts of God's people. And uh, the institutional devolution wasn't as obvious because the industrial age hadn't arrived yet. You know, the, the age of steam, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, things were devolving, but it was more slower. And the, the, the culture was still primarily agrarian. Uh, people were still out on the farms. They hadn't been herded into the cities. You notice they're still working on this, by the way, George. Mm-hmm. This has not stopped. They're not satisfied. It, it, was, it wasn't enough to get people into the cities. Now they have to take the farms away. They're taking the farms away one by one. It's getting too expensive to farm. Isn't that amazing how they do that in the money yeah. system? The money system. What the money system will do is take you away from nature and make you focus on manufactured things that don't have any eternal value whatsoever. This is the exact opposite of what Jesus told his people to focus on. He told them to focus on heavenly things uh, that aren't affected by, you know, the moth or, or rust, right? They don't deteriorate. Right. You know, eternal values. But you see, Christians are extremely materialistic people. That, they're born in that culture. That's all they know. Their parents were Christians, and they were materialistic too. And, you know, they were just trying to, you know, they would profess Christianity and believe, well, whatever, you know, genuine Christians. But, I mean, you don't see a sacrificial lifestyle being modeled for people. They don't do it in a local church. Local church is all about avoiding suffering. How to get out of suffering, you know. 
You just got to get plugged in and figure out the system. But the devil, he wants you to suffer, but God doesn't. God wants you to be happy. So he'll tell you the little secrets, you know, one, two, three, four. You follow a little method and you can defeat Satan, but it doesn't work. You can defeat Satan, by the way. Now, these little plans they come up with, you know, it's always so simple. Just follow the rote, you know. So anyway, yeah, um, when you see radical uh, geographical changes like that in Isaiah 40, verse 4, and here's the thing. It's virtually impossible to prove that Isaiah 40, verse 4, is not referring to the first century. Now, what, what if one single thing is true, just one single thing? What if Isaiah 40, verse 4, is to be taken literally, and the Christians haven't figured it out yet? You know what that is? It's a massive worldwide cataclysm. Once you take it literally, you can't disprove that it's not a worldwide cataclysm, because it says everything. So you're going to say, well, it wasn't really everything. It was local. You know what I mean? You can't prove it. Because it says everything, every mountain. And just imagine that. I mean, it's, it's difficult for the mind to even conceive that kind of thing, right? It's too horrific. Well, that's why I said earlier in the show that I think that the um, the uh, geography of America, its mountain ranges were actually formed in the first century. I think Mount Everest was formed in the first century. Well, go back to what would Isaiah 40, verse 4, if you took that literally, what would that verse tell you? That verse that would tell you, remember it said every valley will be raised up, every mountain will be made low. That would tell you that Mount Everest was formed in that cataclysm, which already happened. Yeah. That's a radical reality, and uh, that's why people can't accept it, because it's just too radical. So they're going to give you the 180-degree lie, and then if you're ever confronted with the truth, you would immediately reject it, because it's too extreme. That, that's how they get you. So. Uh, it says here in uh, Revelation 16, every island, see, again, it doesn't put a qualifier on it. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. In other words, the mountains that existed in that day, if you take that literally, they were all destroyed. Now, Christians actually don't pay very much attention to these verses. They believe Revelation is um, future, but they, they downplay the catastrophe. It's talking about worldwide destruction. And the reason they downplay it, it's actually not compatible with premillennialism. Okay? Because in premillennialism, they teach that Christ returns to a populated earth. Isn't isn't that what they teach? Yep. The Bible does not teach that. Uh, At least if you're going to put it in a future uh, construct, because... uh, if you're going to have a literal worldwide cataclysm, then you're going to have Jesus coming to a pretty much an empty earth. You can see that in Isaiah 24. 
And this is the best passage in the Bible about the cataclysm, by the way. Because it's um, most of the chapter, not all of it. <clears throat> but it says um, in Isaiah 6, Therefore a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Now see that? The people must bear their guilt. All I'm saying is the same thing today. Remember I, I read, um, well this is talking about everyone. But see, there's also a collective guilt that has to do with God's people. And we are guilty today. And God is judging us. It's more complicated that because we're also paying for the sins of our ancestors. That's primarily what I emphasize. But the same thing going on. And then see, in Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2, it says this has come to an end. It's not gonna, God's going to bless his people. You see, he hasn't done this yet. I tell you what, when God blesses his people, everybody's going to see it, even the wicked. It talks about that in Micah chapter 7. It talks about signs and wonders that are comparable with um, the Exodus. It actually mentions the Exodus. But it says the nations will be scared of you. You see that? Mm -hmm. It's it's true that the Egyptians recognized eventually uh, Moses' authority. Well, it's the same thing. And the signs and wonders will be greater It'll be a bigger show. I know it's hard. Well, see, what they did, they took the new exodus and they covered it all up. And they gave you the pre-trip rapture. Because there is going to be a rapture up to about there, right? Because you got to get the people to the place of protection. Mm-hmm. So the they have to be rapture, rapture, you call it? Yeah. That's what you see there in Revelation twelve fourteen. That's why the woman is flying, see? Hmm. Where in the first century, uh, she fled in the earlier part People were generally confined to a geographical location there. But this, see, now we're in the diaspora, so we're spread all over the earth. So what God is doing there in Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2, he's declaring an end to the diaspora. And why does it come to an end? Because if you go to Ezekiel 20, it says God scattered his people, right? Now he's going to gather them. And where does he gather them? It says right there. In the wilderness among the nations. In other words, wherever this place is, it's outside of Israel, wherever the heck that is at. And you don't hear people talk about this at all. It's absolutely amazing. So this is actually consistent all through history because there's never been a time that God's people have understood what God's going to do right around the corner. I don't know when this time ever was. I think the same thing is true even when Moses was leading the people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Except for when, when you know, God said, you know, you're not going into the land. Okay, well, we're not going to go in the land. We're going to wander in the, in the um, wilderness for 40 years because God said. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when they didn't have clarity. They had a certain belief about what's coming. But they didn't know God's opinion, and they're, they're just flat dead wrong. Basically, you can see that Israel, they always expect blessing. They always think they're going to get blessed. And instead, what happens is judgment. So the people were deceived that nothing has changed today. They always think God's going to reward them and good things are coming. That's what a lot of that show was about earlier, is the people will always manufacture a false hope for themselves just to get through the day. 
And then the Illuminati is going to give you false hope too. So where does the true hope come from? Well, it comes from Revelation. So if you don't have clarity, you're going to have to have illumination. You're going to have to have revelation. We don't have that today. So I mentioned previously that the people are, they're in a deep state of darkness. It talks about this in Isaiah 9. And that's another passage where I think there's a double fulfillment. Because scripture applies that to the first century. The people were, they sat in darkness. And then Christ himself was the light according to John chapter 1, right? The light of the world. Mm-hmm. And something similar is going to happen this time. And I read a passage where it talks about um, Israel itself in the latter part of um, the book of Revelation is going to be restored and light will be given to her. Okay? She's portrayed as a female. And this is where it says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. See, there's light that's coming. Everything's dark right now. Um, God's doing some things in the background, but not in the foreground yet. He's making preparations like he always does, you know. God takes his time, just like Noah built an ark, right? Well, it's kind of like Noah building an ark right now in the background. You know, it's not, you know, like out in the open, right? You might yeah, hear a rumor here and there, yeah, hey, there's some guy building an ark over there. Do you hear that? You know, but they haven't actually seen it for themselves. You know, it's just kind of a rumor. And go, you got to be kidding me. You know, so people will hear this or hear that, you know, but nothing significant yet. So there's bad things coming. And uh, when they come, God has to make a move. Or we're all going to be destroyed or just totally enslaved. And there won't be any people of God. Because they have the ability to take everybody out completely put you on mind control and uh, they can do that with anybody right now but God's protecting people you know but the stuff that's coming I mean they have the technology to do it right now so God's protecting them right now but they're going to bring the hammer down and when he when they do that God's going to have to have an answer for his people or they will all be destroyed and there won't be any people left so that's why he's going to do something or you can just believe that this is never going to happen, these bad things. Well, that's ridiculous. Because the Bible does say that bad things are going to happen. Anyway, anything else? Uh, yeah, I want to... Are you still got energy sure. to talk? Sure. I, mean, I don't want to hold you too long, but I have a weird sleep schedule. I could keep talking for a while myself. Okay. But uh, yeah, if you're if you're still interested. Um, I want to talk about the uh, this second exodus. Mm-hmm. Um. I know you have presented the view which seems to match what they call Anglo-Israelism in the past, that the true Israel is either is or is scattered amongst a lot of the white nations of Europe. Yeah, that's true. Um, you got to be careful with that, though, because most people will, will draw false conclusions out of that. Although mm-hmm. I will acknowledge that as a general rule that the Israelites um, were Caucasian in appearance. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that. But. Do you, I, I guess it's all speculation at this point, but do you uh, know where the Spanish stand in that? Uh, whether they're, uh, there are true Israelites of Spanish mixture? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the... Um, I'm just going to avoid the word Jew, but the Israelite bloodline, the Hebrew bloodline, it's it's spread all through the uh, the nations. Um, 
you know, what we call the Western world today, kind of like leaven in dough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And by the way, there's very important scriptures that prophesy that this is going to happen <laughs> to the bloodline of Abraham. And it's actually a blessing to the quote-unquote Gentile nations. And uh, almost everybody just totally ignores this. Because the people that pay attention to this kind of thing, they have more of a racial type mentality, and they absolutely are not open to that at all. But that's my view, and it complicates things, that God actually wants. That's part of his plan for that bloodline to be um, uh, mingled with others. Um, i got to be honest with you, because the Bible is totally against that, the way it's written. It has prophecies about it, but it, it never advocates intermarriage. Christians assume that. It never does that anywhere. Right. They, have a, they, they, they believe that if they're a little bit educated, which they're not, um, that that was forbidden in the uh, Old Testament. Well, it is. I've just got to go to what happened in Nehemiah and Ezra's day. These men had to give up their wives. They married foreign women. The families had to be broken up. That's how important that was. Okay, so then you go back to your Bible and and you find out where did this change? It didn't change anywhere. The only thing Christians have is these little passages they try to use as proof text. It doesn't prove anything where Paul will say, in Christ there is neither male nor female. That kind of thing, you know? Hold it here. Yeah. Do you think that Paul is teaching there's no males and females anymore? No, not at all. Well, yeah, the says, target, there's, the... neither, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. These simple-minded Christians actually believe that there's no more Jews or Gentiles. It's true. We're all just one in Jesus. You see, because um, they don't have the concept of a two-tiered church. I said before in Romans three one, Paul teaches the concept of a two-tiered church where one group is superior to the other. He says, um, what value is there then in circumcision? He says, much in every way. You know what I mean? And he's talking about the Jews. Excuse me. um, I'm misquoting that. He says, what advantage is there then in being a Jew? And we actually have forgotten what that is too, but the Jews were Christians who kept the Torah, the law of Moses. And the new converts did not have to do that. They didn't, Paul didn't want them to have that burden. This is what all this wrangling about the law is about. See, it solves all the problems. Um, obviously, when he's speaking, um, James is speaking to the 12 tribes. That's a different audience that says that. James 1, verse 1, says he's speaking to the 12 tribes, you know what I mean? And when Paul is writing to the Romans, he's speaking to two groups. He's speaking to Jews and the quote-unquote Gentiles. Remember with the Jews? They were believers in Yahweh. They had accepted Jesus as Messiah, and they still kept the Torah. And so Christians get confused when Paul speaks negatively about the law of Moses, they don't understand he's speaking to uh, non-Israelites. Actually, even that's not true. 
Um, but he's, te- he's, he's speaking to non – what they're called is – they should be called outsiders, not Gentiles. They're trying to cover something up. But he's, he's speaking to non-Tor observers. They don't keep the law. And he's not encouraging them to keep the law because they don't have to. But they can if they want. If they want to do that, they have to be circumcised. That's how you um, enter that religion according to the Bible. According to the Bible. And see, most Christians don't know that in Judaism, circumcision has to do with conversion. Conversion. They've never even heard this before. How do you convert to the, the Jewish faith? Through circumcision. They seem to have lost that. Okay? So when they're speaking about circumcision, uh, Christians think of, you know, cutting the penis. But in the big picture, it's actually taught the subject of conversion. Okay? And Paul is discouraging them from doing that. It's kind of like overkill. You don't have to. Because it's a burden. It's First of all, it's going to take you a considerable number of years to even learn the Torah. Now, see, most Christians today, here's the thing. Uh, they don't have any desire to learn any significant level, so they would not even learn the Torah. Because, see, you have to study it. They don't study enough. So they would never, they would never even know it. That means that they could not keep the law. You have to know the law in order to keep it. But modern Christians today, they would not even study the law enough to even know it because they just don't study enough. They just don't have it. You know what I mean? So that's a big reason why he told them because um, the people that kept the, the Torah, they were born into that culture and they had fathers who taught it to them over a number of years. You know what I mean? You're supposed to teach them the commandments. Okay, It takes time. So, I mean, this is one of the reasons why he was discouraging them from doing that kind of thing. But I also think it had to do with the fact that um, when the temple was destroyed, that, all that came to an end. And it talks about that explicitly in Scripture. That the, um, it says in the book of Hebrews that the, um, the Old Covenant was still intact but it was going to pass away soon. It hadn't yet, but it was imminent. And see, this is that will completely collapse Christianity, because Christianity is based on the view that there was a new religion created, right? And that had to do with the new covenant. By the way, where is this concept of a New Testament in your Bible? Where did that come from? Did that come from God? Did oh, not, God in the, call? not in the words itself. It seems to no, be that's, uh, a later interpretation. That I, I believe it's propaganda. But see, the New Testament has mm-hmm. to do with the, the covenant. So it's based on the premise that we're under the, the new covenant. But Judaism says that the new covenant is future. It's really simple. You just go to a Jeremiah 31, which, you know, Hebrews 7 quotes. And just take it, just do one thing. Just take it literally. Watch what happens. See, we bought into the re- replacement theology view we got from Roman Catholic Church that, you know, the church is the new Israel. We all believe that, right? But um, if that restoration in Jeremiah 31 is, is literal, in other words, the events are literal, that completely collapses. So the, the best view you could possibly have is that um, we're partially under the new covenant. 
In other words, you look at that and they go, well, hold it here. This is a physical event. The context is future. So that means that there has to be things that are fulfilled. They haven't happened yet. Well, of course. Well, that means that, okay, we're under the new covenant, but we're not entirely under the new covenant. We're only partially under the new covenant. What's absolutely shocking about um, Christian theology and its development, you won't even hear these discussions historically. That's how you can tell uh, in a system of control, which is actually what you had in the medieval era. Nothing's changed. It's just a matter of degree. They were shutting it down back then. See, when you have these discussions, like uh, you know, pre-existence of the soul, not, not reincarnation, but pre-existence of the soul, that we know that early Christians used to believe in, and some of them, uh, according to what we're told, they were church fathers and they sat on church councils that determine orthodoxy. Well, this is a big problem. They were originists, okay? They followed origin. Uh, why can't we have a discussion? There's no discussion. So it's being artificially shut down. And when you see it being artificially shut down, that's because there's truth there. They're trying to suppress. They don't want a discussion. When they, when they, when they allow a discussion, that's when they give you a dialectic. You get to discuss, is it this one or that one, right? Is it flat earth or is it a globe earth, right? They'll create a polarizing debate to divide yeah, and conquer people a, on the issue. There's a discussion. But see, um, well, that's, that's, there was a time when they didn't give you the dialectic. And they kind of did. But nobody really took flat earth theory into serious consideration in the 20th century, right? Except for a few flat earthers, obviously. <laughs> Okay, um, but sometimes they don't want a discussion, and there is a number of instances of this kind of thing, and that's why you will not see any discussion like in these church councils. They don't even talk about it. Let's, let's take an example, okay? Let's talk about the doctrine of emanation. You hear me talking about that before? Emanation. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have a, a manufactured dialectic. You have uh, ex nihilo creation. It's a Latin term for out of nothing. Almost all Christians believe this. Then you have the opposite view that has to do with monism, which is typically what we call pantheism, that everything is God. Okay? And notice how you don't hear anything else, do you? That's all you ever hear. So anyway... Um, emanation, which is a middle position, is very important. So was there ever a church council that, that condemned emanation? No. Why? Because they don't want it discussed. Now, sometimes they want to condemn it, and that's the way they're going to keep the truth from the people. That worked very well with the preexistence of the soul. After um, that doctrine was condemned at a church council, you will not find any discussion of that teaching among church authorities after that period. And what does that tell you? Everybody has to shut up and be politically correct? Is that how we do things around here? Oh, yes. See, the church is very politically correct, I, even when it comes to theology. You know, the total line, you know, and uh, they establish these traditions in uh, Translating committees, right? 
And people would be horrified if they translated the word differently. Well, that, sometimes that, that's what needs to be happened, you know, because it's wrong. It's not being translated right. Because they're just following. Well, actually, they're just going with the flow. You know what I mean? That's what church, that's church as usual, by the way, going with the flow. Don't want to upset the apple cart. See, these are the people, they already believe they have the truth. So they just kind of have to hold down the fort. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, they don't think that anything has been lost. Um, their mindset is, is false. Yeah, well, speaking about uh, about things lost and the second exodus, I've heard you talk in the past about the fact that polygamy, at least where a man has multiple wives, uh-huh. is uh, was commonly accepted back then and Nowadays, it's frowned upon as kind of something that God tolerated back then, but he wanted to retire the practice as soon as possible. But, uh, well, recently I was studying which of the uh, the Torah laws were abrogated by the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is the requirement in the New Testament that a church overseer or, or a deacon, I think the Greek word is episcopon. But anyway, he should be the husband of one wife. But uh, other than that, I don't see it ever negated in the New Testament. And you're talking no. about the fact that the population is skewed, less males than females, and that mm-hmm. might have to be a reality in the future? Well, it has to be. Um, it's either 50-50 or it's not. If it's not 50-50, then let's say that there's one more male than females in all of history, okay, that it's skewed that way. It's just not balanced. Or there's one more female. But if it's not a perfect 50-50 balance, then it simply isn't. It, it, everybody seems to think, notice how there's no thinking, that it's 50-50. It's a magical belief system. See that? Mm-hmm. So... I mean, that's really a ridiculous view, and it's impossible to prove anyway. So um, Christians have a hold of the magical belief that God has a mate for everyone. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. On a one-on-one ratio. Well, God would never withhold something like that, right? Because otherwise, God would be withholding. God wouldn't do that. So this is what they believe. That's ridiculous, too, because the only way that would be hold up it's, it's a little bit more technical than this, okay? But if there's a 50-50 ratio, and everyone has at least a potential mate, you know, things go wrong, you know, and you screwed up, but you had this wife out there. God had her there for you, but, you know, you, you messed up, so you don't you don't get her in this life. But he had her there, didn't he? No. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. See, the numbers don't work. So what I'm trying to say is you're going to have to have polygamy, if you have a significant um, differential in the ratio there, it just follows by necessity. And uh, when you study the ancient world and even the medieval era, and actually um, outside of Western culture, uh, there's, a, there's a, a market imbalance. There's a considerably more females. You can see it in Africa. You can see it uh, in Asia. Chuck spent a lot of time in Thailand. He saw it over there. He, I mean, he actually noticed it without realizing, you know, the, 
that that means something. You know what I mean? But that's a complicated subject because, uh, yeah, there's not a single passage in the Bible that speaks about either polygamy or concubinage, which is a form of polygamy, obviously. Nothing. But it's complicated because um, I hold to the view that God... um, It has to do with devolution. As the nature of man evolves, um, God brings change in order to protect people. He's protecting everyone. And uh, he's protecting men and women because uh, the nature of man is becoming more evil. And uh, when that happens, look at the society. You see how people are not being protected like they used to? Now this, you could just run wild with this. I mean, you've got eight-year-old kids out there that are looking at pornography because their own parents aren't protecting them. The society is not going to do it. You know what I mean? You're on your own on that one. What you have to do is you have to buy a technology, pay for it uh, for your computer, obviously, and most of them are not doing that in a down economy. And Or you have to watch your child all the time. Well, people are not doing that. They're going around the corner. And uh, Remember when you were a kid. Uh, kids are really good liars. They learn how to lie, and uh, they don't really think about... Um, Things like that, the way an adults do, the reason is because they don't see the consequences of lying. As you age, you learn, whether you're a believer or not, of the consequences of doing things like lying and stealing. You know what I mean? You know, if you shoplift enough times, you're probably going to get caught eventually. And then when you get caught, you'll have a different perspective once you uh, experience some suffering, which is what you should experience so you can change your mind. You know, but um, there's evidence that the uh, the rabbis were they were anti polygamy, and so it was fading in that culture, I believe, in the first century. But it was still, you know, very common. And I actually think this is just a theory. I think that God was actually working through the rabbis because He worked through anybody. It can be secular, okay. Uh, to achieve good. In fact, see, a lot of our laws in society, even though they're not in the Bible, I actually believe that they're from God. And you notice that we have more and more laws all the time, and we complain about it, right? But actually, you have to have that kind of thing to some degree when people become more evil. See, people are becoming more evil. And unfortunately, you have to have more laws. Now, these restrictions are, you know, they're both good and bad. Uh, I think they're largely in the big picture, I think they're bad. In the short term, they're good because they're they're protecting people. But in the big picture, they're not good because we all start losing our freedoms, you see, because the government has to protect us. And the government's going to protect us from uh, becoming obese, right? So they're going to start telling us what to eat. Well, uh, in the short term, that looks like a pretty good thing, you know, because people lose weight and they can't do it themselves. But in the big picture... That's not a good thing for the government to tell you what to eat, right? That's 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 not good. See? But then you start losing freedoms. And then they start punishing you. But they used to do this. They got a movie out there called Goya's Ghost with Natalie Portman in it. And uh, she went through the uh, the ringer with the Inquisition because I think she ate meat on Friday. And so they strung her upside down. 
punished her, whipped her, something. I don't know. But they used to do that to people as far as what we know. I think it, they probably did it more than... Because they have these records of the Inquisition. I'm not going to trust that stuff, you know. Here's how much it happened. Here's how many people... No. No, that's just a bunch of propaganda. As usual. I mean, you look at these events that happened like five years ago, and you already see the revision. They keep changing it, you know. But people don't even notice. Just like they're changing words in a the dictionary. They keep changing it, changing it. People don't notice, you know. And we have a new definition now. Anybody notice? No. Notice how people always use the word apocalypse. And they'll say, apocalyptic. You know what I mean? That's like, you know, disaster or something like that. That's not the meaning of the word. See how the word has changed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has to do with the word revelation. That's why you go to different um, Bible translations and some will say, in the book of Revelation, others will say um, the apocalypse. Or the apocalypse. Uh, forget it. Book of the apocalypse or something like that. I don't know. Because that's what it means, you know. It means revelation, basically. But see, the word has changed. And that's something. That's our modern culture. They just change the word, and people actually don't use it very much in the older traditional biblical meaning anymore. Because if you say apocalypse, in this culture, it's because of all the films and stuff like that, you know. People actually know what that means pretty much, most of them. Not everybody, but. So polygamy is something that God's going to restore. You see that in Isaiah 4.1. Again, if you take that literally, you cannot prove that there's not going to be polygamy in the future because it's a future context. Futurists don't have a problem with that. They do think it's future, so they have a problem. Can they infallibly prove that that text could be, uh, should be spiritualized? Well, if it's not spiritualized, then it's literal. And it's just a question of, is this happening with one man or more than one man? You can't prove that it's only one man either. But um, this society is an abusive society, and it's not designed for polygamy. All that, the patriarch has to be restored. See, see our authority as men has been taken away. It's been given to women. Women have been, they may not like to admit this, or maybe they never thought about it, but they've been artificially empowered. They run psyops. It, when it looks like they're helping people, like the black people or immigrants, right? No, mm-hmm. everything. Everybody's getting used. You know what I mean? See, it looks like oh, they're helping the homosexuals, right? No, the homosexuals are being used as well. Everybody's getting used. The black people. Everybody gets used. What they do. It's, it's just like a 5013C. So you look at that and you go, that's a good thing. See, it's designed to look good, to entrap you. And, well, the government is favoring the church. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, they give me the financial kickback. You get the financial kickback from the devil, you fools. Keep the government. See, this is why these people weren't suspicious enough. Today, you know, the people listening to this show, if they heard the government wanted to give them a financial kickback, they'd be go, ah, I'm not going to buy that one. But see, those Christians, as usual, see, they're not even suspicious, just naive, and just trusting in God. You know, 
Nothing bad will happen. <laughs> See, they're like little children. So they got fooled on that one. <clears throat> but uh, polygamy is very, very uh, complex, um, this society. First of all, it's a down economy, and uh, it's very difficult to afford a second wife. You have to provide for her. That's what husband means. So it's not really that practical. Oh, right. No, I'm not advocating it for right now. It's, it's yeah. just about impossible. I don't advocate it, but I will go so far to say that I cannot use Scripture to condemn any man for having a second wife, because it's not in the Bible anywhere. However, I would discourage it uh, for various reasons, but it's permissible. I would advocate waiting. <laughs> That's what I would do, because I definitely yeah. believe it's it's going to be restored. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm also hoping I'm alive when it is reinstated as a possibility and as a a permitted thing. <laughs> uh. But anyway, I I I mentioned that as a lost uh, law or institution because and uh, said that modern church doctrine doesn't actually match what the Bible teaches on that because I have run across a very interesting uh, interpretation of you've said in the past that the Bible gives no instructions for how to start a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be careful with that. Some guy wrote a, a negative review of me uh, on talk shoe saying something about that. He, he misunderstood what I said or just misquoted me or whatever the heck. Say it again. You just mentioned. Well, oh yeah, I'm talking. I'm only talking about one thing, and he he neglected that. I'm only talking about one thing: the marriage ceremony. That's all I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. There is another sense where God, the Bible does tell you how to get married, but I'm only talking about the marriage ceremony. It doesn't okay. give you a, show you a marriage ceremony in the Bible. It's not in the Bible anymore. That's all I'm talking about. Okay. Well, the, direct, the direction I'm trying to head with my questioning is, you've mentioned that before, but uh, do you have a opinion on on uh, virginity as it relates to marriage and what the Bible actually, you know, what the law should be or will be when it's reinstated? I hate to say it, but the, the Bible has different laws of virginity for males and females. And the the law for the male is so complex. First of all, we're not under the law of Moses anymore anyway. Right. So it doesn't even apply. So it's just um, it's a real burden for anybody to come out there and actually teach uh, what the Bible says about a male virginity under the law of Moses. It's not what you expect. People assume... That every time it talks about virginity, it's talking about the male and female equally. No, it does not. It, it exalts the female womb. Uh, you know, it's a holy thing, and it's actually the uh, you know the foundation for future societies. That's why it has to be preserved. So basically, this is what we need to understand: is that the um, the laws there were the laws were more strict. They had to do with female virginity to preserve the sanctity of the womb. And the Christian church has, has, has completely missed this. Because in the Christian church, they, they're always thinking equality, equality, equality. 
in the Bible, everything is hierarchy, hierarchy, hierarchy. And so there's two different times when I've talked about hierarchical sex. The kings clearly have more privileges. Every one of the kings, by the way, they all had a harem. You cannot use the Bible to prove that there ever was an Israelite king without a harem. Okay, well, if you've got a harem, I don't care if it's only dozens of women, um, you've got different privileges than the common man. And we don't like to think about that because we approach everything through a New Testament mindset, okay, where everyone's equal, God doesn't favor anyone. Remember now, how many times have we heard this passage quoted? There's no respecter of persons, right? How many times have we hear that passage? Over and over and over and over again. And I just referred to uh, Romans 3, and it says, what advantage is there, there in being a Jew? It says, much in every way. Much in every way. So he's talking about, and not everyone's a Jew because he's, he's writing to the Romans and he, he's writing to two groups of people and the other groups is what he calls Gentiles and they're believers too. And see, we're all confused about that. So I want to say also that most of the time, Paul is writing to what we call the Gentiles. Nobody's keeping the Torah. Most of the quote-unquote New Testament letters are to, written to non-Torah observers. And Paul is perfectly happy for them just to stay the way they are. Uh, but they can become circumcised if they want to. Because, see, it's not forbidden. That's another important thing. Is it forbidden? No. Do you want to keep the Sabbath? Yeah, you can go ahead. Is it required? No. Um, for a Jew, nothing's changed. And the Christians don't understand this either. They had to keep the law. Okay, until the temple was destroyed, that's what their righteousness was based on, law observance. Nothing changes. They did not abandon the law. And you can prove that when you go to the, the most important church council in the Bible, which is one of them there in you know, the council in Jerusalem, Acts 15. And again, the blind Christians, you see, they focus on, oh, they didn't have to keep the law. It says right there, what did it say about the other group? The Jews says nothing. You know why? Because they kept right on keeping the law. Okay, when was there ever a church council to tell the Torah keepers to stop keeping the Torah? Nowhere. Christians are assuming that this is what this Paul is teaching, but he's not. Here's the thing in a nutshell. He never told anyone that was keeping the Torah or had been traditionally keeping it to stop doing it. Nowhere. And he didn't do it himself either. You can go to Acts 21. Right. And see, when he, had, when he was accused of doing that, he went out of his way to prove that he was still keeping the law of Moses. Okay? So, so that, that is true. It's also true that he was prim his primary audience, you see, were people that were not keeping the Torah. And I'm actually saying that most of these people were Israelites in the diaspora. Because they went to them first. And Jesus said, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know what I mean? Most of them were from that bloodline because that was the, um, that was the emphasis. And you can see that by where the apostles went. 
with the exception of Egypt. There was a lot of Jews. In Egypt, there was a big Alexandrian community there. And uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. But the other places that Paul went to, uh, those who were the Jews went into Diaspora. You know, they were like in northern Africa and southern Europe. There's a reason why they were sent there, to gather in the lost brethren. And anybody else could come too. Anybody of any race. I mean, but there was a focus, you see. It's primarily, it makes perfect sense. These are people that wandered away, not people like in the tribe of Dan or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, they got Hellenized. And they're going to call those people back first because God actually has a covenant with the people. That's what we lose in um, uh, replacement theology. God has a covenant with a bloodline. And uh, then in dispensational theology, they still, they still steal it from you. Because they give it to the other ones. Oh, not you. That's You're not a Jew, right? The Jews over there, that's for them. You see? Well, it doesn't matter. Either way, they're taking something away from you. That's what the devil's doing. A good way to illustrate that is all the Old Testament prophecies, according to replacement theology, are fulfilled spiritually. Nothing's fulfilled literally. Okay? You just took away all. You just took away all the prophecies. You stole them all away from God's people. See how they did that? Okay. Then the other psyop is to give you dispensational propaganda, and they say, "Well, all, all these prophecies. Now, this is incredible. All these prophecies in the Old Testament, just like I just said. Well, they don't have to do with you. Same old thing. I'm talking about literal fulfillment. You know, these literal blessings. Like what was it last week? I was talking about the gold. God's people can be wealthy." talks about in the book of Isaiah. The wealth of the nations will be given in their hands, okay? Okay, but uh, this is what they tell you. They tell you that the church is going to fly up to heaven in the pre-trib rapture before anything bad happens. And then they tell you that um, right after that, God will um, pour out his grace on the Jews. See, he's finally going to restore them now. Now, now the Christians are up in heaven. And there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evan- evangelists. You ever heard that one? The Jewish evangelists. Where in the Bible does it say they're going to be evangelists? It doesn't say anywhere. See how they just make it up? Like in a cult? Now, you could, you could draw that by inference. Because, see, in their mind, they're going, well, the church went up to heaven. So naturally, they would be evangelists, but they're wrong about the church going to heaven. And what I'm saying, does the scripture explicitly say that the 144,000 are evangelists? It doesn't say it at all. You know what I mean? First of all, I think the 144,000 are raptured, and they don't teach anybody. They're just gone. You know what I mean? It doesn't talk about them hanging around. It doesn't say, it doesn't say that they hang around. It does say that they're delivered, but it doesn't say how. It doesn't give us any kind of time frame or anything. They just manufacture this. So anyway, we go up to heaven with all these prophecies being unfulfilled. They have nothing to do with the church, you see. Well, the church itself is false, okay, like I said before, because we're Israel. So they took away all the Old Testament prophecies once again. See, either way, 
These prophecies don't apply to us on a practical, literal level. The, the physical restoration of the church, what does that have to do with us? In, in replacement theology, uh, there is no uh, physical restoration of Israel. You see that? Did you know that um, restoration theology teaches that God has eternally abandoned Israel? They're never restored. Now, the reason that that happened, this is Roman Catholic theology. There's no future restoration of Israel. It's because they sinned. They crucified the Messiah. So this is eternal condemnation from God. Now, to give them credit, uh, they make allowance that a Jew can convert just like anybody else of any other people. It's not like you know anybody can come to Christ except for a Jew. Oh, no, there's no Jews that can convert. No. Even Roman Catholics don't teach that. Okay? I'm just talking about collectively the people, um, you know, what was there will never be restored. God's not going to do anything. It's all done and over with. And now we have the Christian church. So what they did, they stole all these prophecies away from us. And I'm saying that these are the prophecies that primarily apply to us because um, you have to get into first century fulfillment. But when you look in the epistles and things like that, those are things that were imminent that, that referred to those people. And the curious result of all this is that the prophecies in the New Testament are primarily fulfilled in the first century. This is why Jesus said, um, all these things will be fulfilled in this generation, you see. But in the Old Testament, that's where you see all the unfulfilled prophecy. And that's one of the reasons, not, not the primary reason, but it's one of the reasons why they call it the old and why they call it the new. Okay, because I'm telling you flat out, there's a conspiracy to get Christians to focus on the New Testament and ignore the Old Testament. And one of the ways you can tell that is because that's what they do. You know, local church type goers, they think the new covenant is superior. Now, the Bible actually teaches that. But the problem is the new covenant hasn't arrived yet. The new covenant has to do with the future restoration of Israel. It's that simple. There's no new covenant until Israel is restored. Now, go back and see what I just said about dispensationalism and replacement theology. See how they screwed all that up? You see that? Mm -hmm. They, they took yeah. away your, your birthright, basically, if you're a child of God. They stole it. And if you look at it critically, you can go, they stole that. <laughs> they stole all these prophecies. But those prophecies, they have nothing to do with you. Nothing. The only thing they want you to do is um, get in these little uh, home groups and uh, go through the Bible. Everybody gives an opinion. And then you take these passages and you apply them to yourself. They don't have a problem with it. They won't correct you. They go, well, that, that prophecy has nothing to do with you. It has to do with David. You're taking a, a blessing from God to David in the Psalms, and you're trying to apply it to either yourself or all the church. This is what they do. They won't stop you from doing that. They, oh, they like that. You know what I mean? But that's all you get. Otherwise, these prophecies don't have anything to do with you. They stole all of them. It's amazing. It's like I said, um, the Illuminati will steal one thing after another from you, and, and the Christian church will sit there and applaud. Oh, that's a good thing. Because they, they're ignorant. They don't even know what's going on. So 
blinded. And uh, obviously, when you have that degree of um, not being able to see, God has to be involved. Whenever the, the people are, are that spiritually dull, God has to be involved. I mean, he's the one that gives and uh, withholds enlightenment, you know, light. So if the people don't light, uh, have light, it's always God withholding light. And, but Christians always think it's because, well, the people did this, and then God does that. A, an easy way to prove that wrong is right now. See, the Bible prophesies that Elijah will come and restore everything. So God has prophesied that everything will be restored. Well, in order to guarantee that, he has to also assure that before the restoration, there has to be corruption. You see that? There has to be corruption. It's not just God allowing the corruption. No, the, the corruption has to be guaranteed or the prophecy can't come to pass because it can't be, it can't be restored because it doesn't need to be. You see that? So therefore, it's absolutely necessary for it to be corrupted. Okay, now let's look at that. Wouldn't it follow by necessity that God is withholding might? Yes. See, we don't think that way. Well, God wouldn't do that. That's your fault. In other words, you did something bad, and so God's withholding light from you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, it's more, it's more complex than that. Um, you can have a collective judgment where you can see right there, this is a judgment in Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2, that is many centuries old. Because it goes on century after century. And it's actually been going on century after century since the first century. And what did God do to intervene? He didn't do anything. It's ongoing. Well, if you're born in that period of time, uh, there's going to be a lack of light. Because God was withholding it. And uh, you're going to suffer, whether you think that you're suffering or not. You know, when you're ignorant, you don't even know you're suffering. That's how ignorant you are. You know what I mean? Look at the ignorant people in local churches. Do, do they know that they're suffering from uh, chemtrails every single day? Do they know that? No. They're so ignorant. You see that? They don't even know they're suffering. And this is the condition of people today. They're basically in a prison system, and they're all slaves. And they have kind of a vague awareness, that at least at some point in their life, you know, ah, things could be better. They just look around, and this is just the way things are, so they just accept it, you know. And they try to paint the world a brighter place so they can um, feel better emotionally and get through the day. Because you know, everybody's trying to be happy, you know. So that's one of the reasons why people don't... Um, you know, critique their reality. Yeah, they don't critique their reality. They don't want to know because if you start critiquing reality, you know, most of it's going to be bad because you start looking at things and going, well, this is like, this is wrong. This is just screwed up. See, children don't know that, right? As you, um, you know, as you mature and become an adult, you start to see that things are wrong, right? Okay, well, that's one level. But um, you need to go way beyond that and start to see what's really going on as much as you can. These people haven't done that, but they still know something's wrong, just kind of a big awareness, you know. Oh, I wish things were better. Well, the economy will improve soon. Hopefully, I believe so, you know. That's all they have. 
So um, this is just the human condition. They're in a state of uh, blindness. God put them in that state. I said before in Isaiah, I think it's 25 or 26, it talks about this veil over the nations that God's going to remove. See, there's a veil over everybody. I guess in that particular context, it'd be talking about the quote-unquote, I hate to say, you know, Gentile nations, you know, just the non-Israelite nations. That's what it's talking about in that particular context. It wouldn't be talking about the Israelites because they're, it's already happened to them. <clears throat> it happens to them first, but eventually it happens to the whole world. The, the whole world is basically Christianized, but not everyone submits. You know, it's always going to be like that. You're going to have a rebellion on the Exodus. Um, it actually talks about the, re- the rebellious that will be destroyed in Ezekiel 20. Yeah, well, um, that's why I bring up this uh, question about polygamy and virginity. Uh-huh. Because the Ezekiel prophecies of a restored Israel seem to indicate that the temple will be rebuilt and that the animal sacrifices will be restored. So I'm inclined to think that maybe it won't look exactly like the Sinai Covenant and the Mosaic Law, but mm-hmm. perhaps good portions of the old law will be reinstored or reinstated. And so what I am getting at with those questions about polygamy and virginity is that, and you mentioned it, I have come to the same conclusion that virginity is, it seems to be in the Bible, an exclusively female uh, quality. That's interesting that you notice that. <laughs> I don't want people um, to think that um, men can just sow their wild oats, but it's, it's I'm not yeah, actually telling you. I'm not even. I didn't I, notice. I didn't say I, I want to tackle that. I kind of avoided it. It's complex. Oh, I know. If, that. if you're going to go into it, you're going to have to get the Bible out, and you're going to stay there. And I think the cultural norms are so standardized that I don't think I could impact anybody anyway. Because see, in their mind, I'm going to be advocating fornication, mm-hmm. and uh, fornication is a word that's not in the Bible. That right. comes from Illuminati, just like the word um, or incest. Now, obviously, there's something along those lines. I'm just saying those words are not biblical words. They're manufactured right. English words. The word fornication, forget it. Well, here's the reason why. Let's prove it. If you're going to go with the Greek, okay, the Greek word is pornea. A pornea, we know for a fact, it can mean different things, different sexual connotations. So it's more than one. Okay, so if he says pornea, but he doesn't qualify it, what does it mean? You don't know. It's only speaking with generalities. You see that? Mm-hmm. For instance, there was a law against incest, incest in the Mosaic Code. So if you have, um, if the context allows it, in other words, if it's not specifically, obviously not having to do with um, incest, then when it uses the word pornea, how do you know he's not talking about incest? Because that was forbidden. So that would be a type of pornea that's forbidden. That's why there's people out there, I actually have a book on this, that actually teach that the Bible does not permit a divorce or remarriage. And Jesus said, you know, except for pornea, when the passage we talking about divorcing, 
that could be incest. Okay. Now, I used to believe this, but I don't believe it anymore, okay? But everyone's going to agree, I think, that if you um, – this used to happen in the ancient world. It could happen today. You hear about it every once in a while. That you married uh, your sister, okay? But you didn't know that it was your sister, okay? Mm-hmm. You could make the case that Jesus is saying that because of incest, pornea, we already know that that type of pornea is forbidden, that this marriage has to be annulled. Because incest is a form of pornea. You see that? Yeah. So how do you prove that wrong? Because we're all going to agree. Do we all agree that the marriage should be annulled if it's incest? We all agree on that, right? Well, therefore, yeah. then incest could be the proper interpretation of the word pornea. Now, I'm not trying to say that's the correct interpretation. I used to believe that. I don't believe it anymore. But in other contexts, you've got the same problem. How do you know this is talking about, quote-unquote, fornication? Does it say that in the text? No, it does not. It just says pornea. You have to make a judgment. There's not enough information in the immediate context to even be doing that. So now you have to appeal to the wider context of Scripture. And a lot of times you don't have enough information either. We're just kind of left. See, people used to know what is right and wrong. Now we have confusion. God has not even – when you talk about accursed people – Cursed people is a people that God has largely abandoned and not even shown them, given them clarity about right and wrong. They don't have clarity. You know why? Because lack of clarity is a punishment. And that's based on the principle, the biblical principle that sin is the punishment for sin, which is another thing that Christians don't believe. Oh, God would never do that. Let's write your Bible. Just go to Romans chapter 1. In fact, Oh, my God. What happened with Adam? You know what's Adam, uh, God's punishment for Adam because of his sin? His sin. Now, every day from this day forward, you'll be sinning. That's the punishment for your sin. But, yeah, in Romans chapter 1, he gave these people over to sin, uh, actually to excess. They were practicing... uh, Things that God didn't approve of them, so he gave them over to those things. What happens when God gives you over? Are you going to sin more or are you going to sin less? You sin more. Is God advocating sin? No, but see, sin is a punishment for sin. We don't get that because we think, well, God wants to help everybody. You know, that kind of nonsense. See, actually in church, they don't even have a theology, okay? They don't have. They don't do theology. They don't do philosophy. They don't do basic logic. They don't really do. They don't do history. They don't really do a whole heck of a lot of anything, do they? Mm-mm. Not real. Not, not 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 when it comes to teaching. There's no significant teaching going on in church. There's very few. Ch- if you're going to have to have something on a Wednesday night. You can't do it on Sunday. That's when everybody shows up. You know what I mean? You got to make it harder on people. I mean, you got to come back a second time for something a little deeper or something. Man, that's hard to get persons to show up a second time during a week. Oh, man. And then if they do show up, oh, we're doing so good. You know, we show up on a Wednesday. Wow. Why can't you be like Jehovah's Witnesses, man? They show up four or five times. 
See, the problem with the Christian church, we don't have an educational system. They used to have one. 19th century, it's gone. So the people are not being educated, and uh, they're being becoming increasingly superstitious. This is ignorance always breeds superstitious. Superstitious, and they're programmed to believe you know, the medieval people were superstitious and the ancient people were superstitious. But do you ever hear uh, Christians being told that they're superstitious? They never even hear that. They don't want them to hear it. Because they may go and scratch their chin and go, are we superstitious? And they maybe would think about that for the first time. They don't want you to think about that. Christians are some of the most superstitious people I've ever seen. Very superstitious about demons, by the way. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, yeah. They they don't believe in Satanists or Satanism, but they'll they're terrified about getting possessed by a demon from using an orgone pyramid. Oh yes, and they have a <laughs> lot of uh, fears and anxieties. That would be one of them. Oh, stay away from that. The tool of the devil, mm-hmm. just like herbs yeah. and acupuncture. And, oh yes, that comes from the east. Anything from the east, you see. Yeah. Anything and everything. If it comes from the east, forget it. Christians have an extremely programmed Western-centric mind. You can see that when you get your version of history, it's all Western-centric. They just ignore the East. And that's that's your programming. And, and it actually has to do, they always want you to believe they're superior. Now, they actually program you to believe that the West is superior. You know, do you know that the, the Illuminati, if you're raised in the East... The Illuminati programs you to believe that the East is superior. Don't fool yourself. You know, these Japanese and the Chinese, they got an attitude, man. They got they think they're superior. Now, when you talk to um, Asians, they're different. Um, they won't come out and tell you that. You know, like, like, a, like a white nationalist will. He'll, he's the opposite of an Asian. I mean, they're discreet people. What I'm saying is they carry around this attitude of, of superiority, but they don't localize it. They actually think they're superior to you. You don't hear about this because they're discreet about it. They think you're superior about the, you, the white people, but they, they're not going to tell you. Okay? They don't fool yourself. They believe this for a long time. You saw that manifest, obviously, like in Japan. You know, that, that went on for quite a while, by the way, before World War II. The Japanese believed that they were superior to everyone, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Illuminati, they always want you to believe you're superior. They make every country superior, you know, uh, national pride. They give you your history, all manufactured. They give you heroes, most of them on a payroll. That's what you're supposed to be proud of. That's why you believe you're superior. I mean, people in Switzerland, they probably think they're superior. They don't sit there and go, well, you know, we won all these great wars, so this is why we're superior, or we did this, so we're superior. It doesn't have to be a rational belief. They just believe it anyway. Yeah. You know, we're the best. It's just like if your denomination, this is the best denomination. Everybody has, you are the greatest ever programming. That's your programming. You're the greatest ever. Yeah. It's just that dialectic of uh, polar opposites 
and divide and conquer strategy on every level, huh? Well, what they do, they tell you how wonderful you are, so you don't. Um, you uh, they feed your ego, by the way, and so um, you're satisfied with the way things are. See, there's no urge to excel, you know, explore and ponder your reality. They don't want you thinking. They don't want you to do. They don't even take you to even a half step. Just sit there. Don't go anywhere. Just just find right where you are. They don't want to do anything to start that journey of exploration. You see that? Yeah. Yeah, they, they convince you that modern man is superior to all all men. Uh, and it's a simple answer. It's because of technology. But you look around. There's no evidence for this whatsoever. Total devolution of mankind. Except for the elite who are using it to empower themselves. In every way possible, that's what they'll do. They have the opportunity to turn themselves into gods, and that's what they'll do. It's whether the opportunity is there or not, whether God allows it, and I think he does to a certain degree. <clears throat> They're kind of like demigods. Look about these supermen, you know what I mean? Yeah. The transhuman, yeah, they, they push the transhuman envelope as far as possible. Why not? Why, why would you, if, if you're benefiting from yourself, why would you hold back? That makes no sense whatsoever. So they didn't hold back. They did everything they could possibly do that God would allow, and they're vastly superior. I would not classify them as human. I think they superseded that, but they did it the wrong way. You know, I think they altered their DNA. I don't see how their DNA could be altered. You know what I mean? But it was done artificially without God's approval. So they'll pay in the long run, eventually. In the meantime, they're going to torment us until um, God moves them from power. He's the one that put them into power. And he's the one that's going to remove them. And they, I believe they know all this, the upper ones. you know, They're not confused. They know the writing's on the wall. And they know they can't circumvent God. The higher ones. They know they're going to lose. And they actually believe uh, the Bible. And they believe Bible prophecy. Just like they know where the Bible's been corrupted. You know all that too. If they're high enough. I don't think a lot of Illuminati have this kind of information, by the way. It's very privileged since on a need-to-know basis. They don't need to know it. The lower level Illuminati, they're they're pretty ignorant too, because most of those guys are still working in the money system, trying to make money. But if that's what you're doing, then you're, you're not very high. If you if you're high enough, you don't need to do anything to get wealth. You're just born into it. All the money is just manufactured numbers. We're starting to figure that out, right? Congress, they just make more money. Actually, you know, there was supposed to be this big decision on uh, March 15th, which is a little um, disconcerting because March 15th is the Ides of March, which is kind of an infamous day. It has to do do with Julius Caesar. But um, Mm -hmm. 
it's kind of expanded over the years, but the there is official day. It's not just the, you know the mid March like you know three or four days. There's actually official day, and it's March fifteenth. And I don't know what time zone it was, but at midnight, um, that was supposed to be ratified. And if it's not, if I remember correctly, we have well, this is what they're saying, you know, that we have two hundred billion in the U.S. Treasury or something like that, and we could make it. Two more months, and that's it. You know they have to restructure the debt. You know what I mean, so did you guys hear about that? Because I didn't. No, I hadn't heard of it. Mm-hmm. I think the economy will uh, collapse under Trump, and he will be blamed. I think he's a scapegoat. They're going to go. Uh, you know, the big businessman he couldn't do it. He failed, and it will make everybody that is not a liberal, look bad. This is the way they do it. You, you can see how these idiots are programmed. Um, you know, if you admit that you voted for Trump, they attack you. You've heard about, of course, some of this stuff could be fake. It's manufactured. But uh, it, it punch you in the face and stuff like that, you know, because you, you wore a Trump hat or something, you know. Because they take out their wrath on you, these ignorant uh, people, who don't understand that the, you know, the the whole voting system is a total scam. No matter who you vote for, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're never going to understand that. They're just brute beasts that are just uh, carried here and there. Uh, they don't understand anything. They're just moved around and manipulated like cattle. And so, what's going to happen if you don't educate yourself? The Illuminati will prey on you. To prey on the people down through the centuries. That's what they've been doing. It's still going on. And uh, see, the thing that you're not hearing is that uh, medieval people, they used to have these long-standing traditions, you see, that helped them define reality. And those traditions are largely truncated, and they've actually been replaced by scientific propaganda. And I was actually listening to Coast to Coast last night. I think it was last night. And there was a guy that was saying something that I have not heard other people say. I don't think he said propaganda, but it was something similar. He was talking about um, the medical system and how it's just a complete sham, but it, see, it's based on science. Well, the, the science is fraudulent. So he was saying, I mean, this is basically propaganda. And the science is propaganda, just like I'm saying, see? Yeah, you know, for instance, like the stuff on, you know, vaccines, you see? Well, that's fraudulent science, right? Well, right there. Uh, look at people who are dying, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that's not valid science, so it's false science. You don't hear about false science, you know what I mean? Uh, they will, just like in the Watchtower Society, you know, you're supposed to believe whatever we tell you. Oh, but then we'll change our mind, and we'll admit that we're wrong. Science is the same thing. You know, whatever they say, if if it's something important, if you want to be normal, you're supposed to believe what they tell you. Science. And they will admit that they've been wrong, right? Just like the Watchtower Society's done the same thing. Oh, yeah, we've been wrong. You know, oh, but whatever we say today, oh, this is the truth, and you better believe it, or you'll be punished, right? 
And there are punishments in this society. This entire society is one of perks and punishments, you know. And that's why people generally do well if they just comply. You see that? Look at me. I'm an example of that. How the heck do I make a living off of this stuff? You know what I mean? The whole society is set against me. The system, Yeah. it doesn't like me. No, it's not going to help me. It's supposed to just eject you. It's like, you know, you're like a reject. What went wrong with you? You went haywire. <clears throat> he should be in a mental institution and be drugged. That's what they want, you know. And that's the condition we have today. Anyway. Anything well, else? Um, yeah, could, I just wanted to finish where I was going with that question on polygamy and virginity. Mm-hmm. If the... Uh, if the Mosaic Law will be reinstored in those areas, then, uh, well, the, the possibility of people being punished or killed by God on this second exodus is a big threat because the way Christians do that nowadays is they don't, uh, we no longer take virginity seriously like it was back then. And so if, we're, if we would be going by those standards, there are a lot of people living in unions that do not qualify as biblical marriages. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I mean, if we were going by Old Testament standards, a good 80 to 90% of the church are living in technically adulterous unions. The only thing I know for sure about what these laws are going to be like is that they'll be uh, they'll be somewhat relaxed, and the reason that's true is because, um, like I said, when there's a change in nature of man, there's either a, a, for the better or worse, there's these are either a relaxation or a tightening of these laws. That's just basic common sense. You know what I mean, so yeah. man's nature. See, replacement theology is telling us that the heart of man has been changed because Jesus went to the cross and they try to use these passages in the Old Testament. Those passages haven't been fulfilled yet. Our hearts have not been changed. We have hearts of stone. And God gives his people a heart of flesh. He actually gives them a new nature when Israel's restored. And this is why people are able to please him. He didn't do this with the Israelites. The reason that we are going to please him is because he's going to give us a new nature. Otherwise, we'd just be like the Israelites again, do the same crazy stuff they did. The reason we're not is because God, this time, he's going to change us. He's going to give us more light, actually, than they had. And uh, I think the reason he didn't is because he wanted to illustrate something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, they did a lot of dumb things, one after another, and... Uh, it looks to me, you know, like God could have uh, actually. I mean, the Protestant reformers will, will tell you, and I agree, that the reason why a man does something good or bad is simply because of whether God chooses to give or withhold grace. This is what the Bible teaches, and uh, most people think it has to do with the will of man. You see, so there's a difference. You see. See, most Christians today, they don't have a Protestant mindset. and They call themselves Protestants, but they're not. 
Uh, to Luther, a Protestant would be an e- evangelical, and he would not call these people evangelicals today. You know why? Because an evangelical is somebody who believes in salvation by grace, and they don't believe that. They will talk about it, but they don't even understand grace. It means unmerited favor. So they think they can do something to earn their salvation, even though they will say, I don't believe that. I believe in salvation by grace. Actually, they simply don't understand these concepts. They haven't been educated. So when you get into a discussion with a Christian and you notice that uh, things are you know, you're kind of struggling. You understand, you're talking to a person. He, he's not educated, okay? Yeah. Uh, you you can tell. Actually, I hate to say it, there's there's quite a few people out there, especially the Internet-type Christians that get on the computer. Here's a the problem. They're guiding themselves. That's very important. They're guiding themselves, okay? They're searching the matter out. They're, you know, they're, they're, at least they're searching, okay? But you don't have a mentor. So we don't have mentors. All the mentors were taken away. A mentor is someone that's reasonably close to you that you can rely on to actually guide you. Because, you see, education is progressive. You start as a child, you don't know anything. You need a mentor, your parents, right? We bought into this view that, oh, because they're really, in Western society, everything is about the individual, empowering the individual. They don't empower the community. They don't want communities. Okay, I mean, what's weird about this is when you know Hillary talked about a village. We actually need a village, just in a village to raise the children. You know, if we're trying to raise uh, children with you know husband and a and a mother and um, you know it's supposed to be a community. See, they took away the grandparents. That's what they did. And they also had aunts and uncles that were... I mean, people lived in very close proximity to each other back then. So you had a group of people. This is why, as long as the family is functioning properly, all all polygamous families are superior to monogamous you know, relationships. And people don't even think about this. They just function way more efficiently. For instance, you know, the other wives can exercise. Um, it's difficult for a lot of women to exercise because, you know, they've got the kid around all the time. They've got to watch him, and uh, you've got to fit all that in. Or uh, study the Bible. You know what I mean? Uh, you can actually have one or two wives watch all the children, and the other ones can go shopping or exercise or, or whatever, um, devotional time. You have more time for everything. Um, it's homeschooling is a lot easier. Okay, mm-hmm. you only need uh, one or two um, people to educate the group. Other ones could have days off to do other things. Look at like um, you know growing a garden. You see, are well, you going to put a garden in? But you got to take care of the children. Well, hold it here. You got one woman that can take care of, of all the children, at least some of the time, and the other ones can work in the garden. It's the same right down the line. Same thing with having sex, okay? Um, they can watch the children, and then uh, two people can go have sex. Now, is that sex going to be higher quality? You better believe it. 
Mm-hmm. So they don't have to worry about, oh, the children this. Just forget about the children and just have sex. You know what I mean? Yep. There's too many Christians on today having sex worried about, oh, well, you know, better keep it the volume low here because the children are nearby, you know. By the way, they didn't have hang-ups about that kind of stuff either, and I didn't want to get in all that because uh, I got problems with that myself. I'm still struggling. I don't even want to talk about it, I don't think. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to hear my parents involved. In I know. That. that would be very awkward. Uh, but I, I think it was more natural back then for children to hear, uh, like, sighs of passion. And uh, at least on occasion, uh, it was accepted in that culture. I have reasons for believing that. We have a very bizarre bipolar attitude towards sex in our culture. Because we still have these hang-ups about it, see. But people are obsessed with sex. So they kind of have an either-or mentality. Basically, there was a Christian psyop, and it was so pervasive that it affected um, pretty much all Western culture. And it had to do with negative views about sex. So it didn't matter whether you're Christian or not. you got to remember, a lot of this stuff came from the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. And it was diabolical. I've talked about the sexual psyop before. But basically... It's the same old thing. Um, God is giving gifts to his people, and the devil is getting in there going, oh, no, no, we're not going to give you that. Um, let's snatch that away, too. And uh, we, we forgot that sex is a gift. Now, we will say it. Oh, I'm going to go to a Christian seminar about sexuality for married couples. And, oh, one of the wonderful things I learned is that sexuality is a gift from God. I have a different attitude now, uh, now about sex. Actually, they still don't get it. Even when they say that, they don't really believe it. They don't. They still have. Um, there's something like holding them back. Okay, they can't let themselves go. That's the problem. The programming. Don't you, don't you enjoy yourself too much? Don't enjoy yourself too long. That's enough. Now put it away. You got to remember that the early church fathers. They actually taught a number of them, like Tertullian. Augustine, uh, I think Tertullian was an agent. Augustine's very complex based on what we've tried to get from Revelation. He was controlled to some degree. And um, apparently he was sincere. But Origen was too. They tried to control everybody. You know what I mean? It's a standard procedure all through history. But... um, I think some of his work are forgeries. So I've, I've talked about that before. Or Augustine's work. But anyway, they ta- actually taught that um, any kind of sex outside of procreation is a sin. They actually taught that. And this was the found. This is, well, here's the thing the Roman Catholic Church followed Tertullian and Augustine when it came to sexual ethics. And people like Thomas Aquinas, this is what they taught. I mean, Aquinas was an Augustinian, uh, same when it comes to sex. And um, they frowned on, um, you know, the the concept of pleasure. They were against it. You know, and 
the Bible teaches that everything is a gift of God. If it's good, then that would be pleasure as well, sensible pleasure. And they took that away. And the reason they did that is because that's going to affect your perception of God. Just like if you knew that there was sex in heaven, you would, a lot of people would be more attracted, especially males, to God. They would like God more. They don't know this because they haven't changed their belief. But if they changed their belief, you would find that it would affect your perception of God. You're going to have sex through all eternity. The Christians don't. They think the sex will be taken away. They like sex, right? So that's why it would affect their perception of God. Oh, I kind of like that. Oh, yeah. We don't want that. You cannot use your Bible to prove that angels are not having sex. It's nowhere in your Bible. You just assume that because that's your programming. They want you to believe, and they won't actually come out and say it really, but they want you to believe that the angels manufactured genitalia for themselves so they could have sex with earthly women. That's what they want you to believe. But they won't really talk about it because it's kind of absurd, and, and no one can prove it. So you'll also notice a pattern when there's no evidence whatsoever. They don't like to have a discussion, the Illuminati. So you just won't hear it. You just accept it without evidence because there is no evidence. So that's why you... You don't hear a discussion because there's nothing to discuss. There's no scriptures. There's nothing. They don't want you to know that. They just want you to believe it. It's like ex nihilo, creation. There's not a single scripture in the Bible that teaches this anyone. And scholars will actually tell you that it, it's not explicitly taught in the Bible, just like the doctrine of Trinity. In other words, there's not a single verse, okay? Oh, but you're supposed to believe it anyway. Okay. So is there any discussion about emanation in any church council? Is it even condemned? Is it heresy? No, nothing. You see that? So how many Christians are going to believe, you know, in uh, pantheism? They're not going to believe that. It's kind of like the flat earth, you know what I mean? In the 20th century, how many Christians would believe in a flat earth 20th century? It's just an absurdity. So that will guarantee that they stay um, in the ex nihilo camp. Because pantheism has to do with, you know, paganism and Platoism and Neoplatism and stuff like that. So, we, so therefore, um, out of nothing is true. See how that works? Mm-hmm. Well, that's just a manufactured dialectic. See, it becomes obvious... Once you realize that there's no discussion, century after century, of emanation. And if you went to a Christian apologetics ministry on the Internet and you mentioned the word emanation, the very first thing they would say, that's pagan. They cannot prove that. Because they have never even um, thought about even disproving, uh, even become engaged that the uh, the Hebrews believe this. They don't even try to prove it wrong. They don't even talk about it. I mean, but if the subject came out, they go, oh, oh well, that's pagan. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's true that, you know, if you're a, a panentheist, um, you would typically believe in some form of emanation. Okay? And that's that guilt by association thing. So they identify emanation with pantheism. 
but it, it can be compatible with uh, a theistic you know, creationist view. There's no problem at all. Anyway, one psyop after another against the Christian brain. <clears throat> well, you mentioned uh, new laws having to be given as mm-hmm. humans devolve or become darker. Yeah, I also darker. want to say one thing real quick. There have to be mm-hmm. new laws given because Israel hasn't been restored yet. If you just understand one thing, Israel is going to be physically restored. Okay, there have to be new laws. These, new, these laws are not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. These new covenant laws that we call them, the apostles talked about, those laws are not for a restructured society in the future. It will need... See, a lot of those laws in the Mosaic Code, they were similar to our secular laws today that allow society to function, okay? But I'm saying those laws have not arrived yet. So even if we're under the new covenant, there has to be new laws having to do with the new covenant on how to, um, you know, run the new Israel. They haven't even been given yet. So this is what happens. If you don't fall for the big psyop that, oh, that's just replacement theology, has nothing to do with us, or that has to do with the Jews, has nothing to do with us. If you don't fall for those psyops, then you're going, well, hold it, where's the laws for the new Israel? There's not the Bible anymore. There's all kinds of laws that we need. They are nowhere found. But you will need them in the future. We just haven't thought about this yet because Israel hasn't been restored. Once it was restored, well, what do we do now? You looked at the Bible and said, it's not in here. Yeah, you need fresh revelation. See, right there, what they did with replacement theology, they psyoped you against extra-biblical revelation. You were supposed to look to the teaching magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church, and there is no extra-biblical revelation unless the Pope says, when he speaks ex-cathedral, right? Yeah. So that's it. They shut it all down. You see, but obviously, if Israel's going to be restored, either all the information is in the Bible on how to restore Israel, which is completely ridiculous, or it's not. And if it's not, there's going to be new revelation, and that has to be part of the new covenant. Do you ever hear anything about that? No. No. Because they, um, they took away the restoration of Israel from, from, from God's people. In dispensationalism, they gave it to the Jews. And uh, that's similar to Watchtower belief system, by the way. Where you have the great crowd on earth and you have the 144,000 up in heaven. See that? They're separated. That's what they teach. The church will be in heaven for all eternity. Um, They do uh, allow the church to return uh, to earth, typically in the judgment seat of Christ, but then they go back up to heaven after the judgment's over. So the church stays in heaven for all eternity, and the Jews stay on earth for all eternity. This is what dispensationalism teaches. See the parallels with the watchtower? You know why? Uh, because the Illuminati, <laughs> they created both doctrines. They created dispensationalism, they, teach, they, taught, they created watchtower theology. That's why this, it's similar. <laughs> Anything else? 
No, I think that's all I had uh, on my mind today or tonight. Yeah. So probably let you go. Hey, if you remember, can here. you uh, email me? I just like to stay connected with you. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah. you give me. Uh, I could give you my phone number. You could text me. Um, but I like to stay in contact with people that are like-minded. So also, sure. Uh, you know, things are going to go wrong in the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, th- I think it's important for us to stay connected so we can help each other. Because we're actually going to come together as a community because that's where you have strength. Not all this individual stuff that has to do with weakness. And everyone will really realize when things go wrong that we need each other and we need communities again. See? See, they've taken away the community. That's what yeah. they did. There's, there's no village. See, people used to live in villages. And, and now, Hillary, you know, you need to come to our village. No, I don't want to go to your village, okay? Yeah, they, they'll want these homosexuals uh, raising your children. Yeah, you can go off to work, and then you, you give your children to the homosexuals. They'll take good care of them until you get back. You know, we know how that works. You know, that doesn't work. But that's what they want us to do, you know. Oh, well, the homosexuals are the good people, so there's nothing wrong with – are you – are you uh, prejudiced? You know, you're not going to allow, you know, your children to be supervised by homosexuals? Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> and the word hell is right in the Bible. So I guess it depends on the context of whether it's a swear word. Did you know the word yeah, piss? Is. Piss is in the King James Bible. The piss or pissed, anyway. I don't know that. It, but it actually refers to urinating. Isn't that weird? You can look it up. <laughs> the perfect King James Bible. Okay, I'll let you uh, go, George, and uh, try to remember to re- email me, okay, or you can just connect with me again or whatever the heck uh, in the chat room. But sometimes I don't, I never see people again, so that's why I try to do that. And I go, hey, I wish I would have connected with that guy, okay? Okay. You can, um, uh, the email is what? for the show, but uh, other people email me at Augustine. Um, that's in the show notes, um, Augustine at gmail.com. But the, there's also a different email for the show that's in the, show notes too, but I think it's only for the um, overview for the show at the top or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, there's two emails, so. Okay, I'll let you go, man. Alright. Thanks for your time. Yeah, take care. Very interesting. You too. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.